welcome to the Retro Blood. You are all my children now. You want to know what happens to an eyeball when it gets Welcome back, everybody, to the Retro Blood as we enter a new month here in July. From the Retro Blood, we are entering this July. And before we uh, we get into the main topics here, the Retro Blood in July, we are taking a little July 4th trip, little July 4th weekend trip, little bash. We are going into uh, <clears throat> some um, medical supply rooms and we are stealing army base containers with evil zombie creature marijuana gas to infect infect punk rock 80s 1980s uh, 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 naked punkers and we are destroying the world because retro blood is talking all about the return of the living dead jay allison james klein what's happening allison how you doing how's your july 4th going What's up, man? So far, so good. July 4th is always a big day for me. Um, you know, there's always lots of food to eat and fireworks going off, and it's always hot as shit, and, you know, I'm out doing stuff usually. Um, I do have my uh, uh, July 4th tradition that's coming up. I always watch Jaws on July the 4th because it's like the July 4th movie. So I always watch Jaws on July the 4th. Um this week, though, or this month, this year, we're watching Return of the Living Dead because it's also a, July, a Fourth of July. Yeah, movie. we're breaking your tradition. You know, yes, we're breaking <clears> my of, tradition. Instead of watching uh, big sharks, you know, mm-hmm. hunt and eat people out there in the sea, I mean, you're going to be seeing some sort of, you know, some some uh, some uh, guys throwing dead corpses with Mariana with um, Mariana. <laughs> <laughs> with weed gas <laughs> speaking of Mariana <laughs> with weed gas getting everywhere causing up these zombies yeah. and having these zombies talk to you just wanting some brains brother so it should be pretty fun mm. when it comes to this one little, little breaking tradition and we're doing this a little different so what I was trying to hint at at the beginning of the show is we usually have like a theme for yes. for you know our months so Mm-hmm. The actual theme of July is going to be Argento month, which we I think yes. we titled Italian Blood. Italian Blood. But, you know, there there was there wasn't uh five like Argento movies that we could do cuz we kind of already did the the phenomenon last week, so we kept that with our phenomenon. bugs gone wild. So we're thinking exactly. like, you know, what are we going to do to fill the gap? And we were just thinking, well, why don't we just do like an independent, you know, like a July 4th, you know, movie. You know. Yes. And there's we not always a, love the holidays. Yeah, exactly. We always do a holiday movie. Yeah, and it's like there's like not a lot in the '80s that like no. see, focus on July Fourth like at all. 
So the only one we kept bringing up was uh, the Return of the Living Dead. And like, obviously, we wanted to save this movie for maybe like a zombie month or something. But we're just like, fuck it, whatever. So what we did is we decided to watch this one for the July Fourth special. But we probably will be coming back probably pretty soon to talking about all types of zombie movies because this one right here was like this movie was like super fun. I would say this is like you know if you want a party movie, if you want to see how we're betraying uh, uh, punk rock during during 1985 if you want to see some some crazy plot lines and some zombies and stuff attacking you brother this is the show for you brother so this is gonna be pretty fun yeah yeah absolutely but um but yeah i mean there's a lot to talk about so we'll get into it for this jam-packed episode because not only are we going to be talking about the full review of the return of the living dead we're talking about you know who booked this shit and stuff but the history segment is actually going to be pretty fun this week especially with some of the shit that we found so the history is like what we do every retro blood we talk about what's going on in the world of pro wrestling and the metal music brother on the release date and of course this release date for the return of the living dead was august 16th 1985 a very fun era 1985 every time we get to talk about it it's my my birth era and i gotta say though so like you know you know full 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 you know full gimmick i was only probably like you know like barely a couple months old (laughs) when this movie came out like i was i was like just a couple months old but brother if i was like 20 or 21 at this time watching this fucking movie this has been my favorite movie of the year Okay. Yes, I remember. I remember watching this movie when it was new. So, I was like, "This movie was I great." Was, I was a kid. I was a little kid, but I remember watching this movie when it was new. Yeah, I mean, this thing had everything. Everything I loved. You got the punk rock. You got the crazy plot lines with zombies. You got people eating brains everywhere. You got girls naked, boobs, boobs everywhere, shaking everything. Cops getting destroyed. It was crazy. So we'll get all into it though. But speaking of crazy. I always I I swear if I somebody paid me some money and they're like we want you to produce this show I would do it in a heartbeat and that would be a full podcast review of reviewing Tuesday Night Titans. Okay. Oh yeah. I love this show. I love it. This show is so fantastic. I this episode was fucking great too, which we're about to get into because yeah. that's what we're getting into for the pro wrestling review this month because there was a Tuesday Night Titans airing on august 16th 1985 so it's kind of interesting that they would release this horror movie on a tuesday but you know this stuff is different back then I, i'm guessing it was different back then because you know mm. you, usually movies came out on a friday yeah but yeah it's really weird that this came out on a tuesday right so this so tuesday night times we've done some of these reviews in the archives before basically it's basically a show that this man produced and it was like a late night talk show like David Letterman. Kind yeah, of. It was, yeah, it was like a David Letterman style talk show, but there would always be like these little skits that you would see in like in the middle of them. And boy, what a or skit that David, we got! I was about to say, even David Letterman's probably outdated now for like all the kids out there. Like, what? I guess it would be like uh, oh, this show. watching the um, yeah, <laughs> watching yeah. the Jimmy Campbell show or something, or maybe, that um, of. or that dude off HBO. What's his name? Um, the British dude. Uh, John Oliver. Yeah, John Oliver. Kind of like a, a uh, little bit, a kinda, little bit like yeah, that. Kind of like that. Yeah, kind of like that. But but yeah. he didn't have any guests on. I guess right. he, I guess it would be like Jimmy Kimmel because Jimmy Kimmel at least has yeah, guests on has there. Yes. Yeah, that yeah, makes he sense. Yes. I think it was actually based on. I don't. I can't remember when the David Letterman show started. It had probably started by then, but it looks like um, the old Tonight Show. 
Yeah. Um, the, the old Tonight Show with Johnny Carson had a very specific look. You know, where you had the chairs or the cow, the, I think it was chairs. I think you had the chairs set up and you had Johnny Carson at a desk kind of at an angle, which is kind of how all those talk shows worked. But this this looks specifically like the uh, the uh, the Johnny Carson show. Yeah. But except the difference, though, <laughs> is that it. I think Tuesday Night Titans had a budget of about $5. Yeah, definitely. I don't think they even had, like, any audience in there. He was just, like, McMahon was just pretending that there was. They probably just used, like, soundtracks. Right. I, I, don't, I don't think they actually had an audience. Um, I think that was just piped in, like, uh, crowd noise. So, question, though, for you, yeah. since you're the uh, wrestling expert. Um, so, this is 1985. Yes. And most, at this point, we don't know... That Vince McMahon, unless you really, 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 really are into wrestling, you don't know that Vince McMahon owns the company, right? Yes. You just think he's an announcer. Pretty much, yes. Point. Yes. Yeah. So it was it basically what it was was it's like it was known, but it wasn't known. You know, to you know, right. obviously if like you were saying, if you were like a dedicated fan who probably read like Dave Meltzer's Wrestling Observer, you probably would know yeah. Vince McMahon's the owner of yeah. the company now because he bought it from his dad and everything. But it just watching as a uh, as a viewer, you would see that Vince Man was important, uh, but he was like the the host. He was basically he seemed like at the time to me as a viewer, he was like the host of WWE. Like he was like the main talking point of WWE when it comes to like you know the overall like host of everything. So that's yeah. yeah I think he was in more of that category around this particular time, but. You know, knowing him as the boss and everything, that wasn't really like, you know, well, that actually didn't really get going almost until like, like later in the 90s where people start figuring that out. Like, I think the thing that broke that everybody kind of figured out, you know, you know, mass, mass, not like dirty people, but mass is when he was going on that steroid trial. Then they kind of like, oh, wait, that guy. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's like, oh, that guy is not just the fucking uh, announcer. He's the owner. Oh, okay. It's like why is the why why is the commentator on trial? <laughs> exactly. For steroid abuse. Yeah, exactly. So but, you know, um, it, it's one of those things where it's like I think people like knew in the back of their head, but that kind of like confirmed it. So. And one thing though that I that I do love about these Tennessee Tennessee Titans, holy shit! It's not <laughs> football season. Come on, brother. The, uh, Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> the Tuesday night Titans shows. And pretty much everything that Vince did during this era, like you, a lot of people, especially in the last few years, have a lot of had a lot of really bad things to say about Vince, and and yeah. I am one of those people, like you know, like how he's just kind of like, you know, the WWE could be so much better if he didn't meddle in it as much, yeah. And and we're seeing how it's getting better with him meddling less in it, um, but like he really did work. He really did work for this company. He you know he wasn't just some rich asshole, yeah. Who you know, who would, you know, who just had money and then he bought this company and set back kind of like Ted Turner did. Yeah. But he, you know, he, he actually worked like he's like when he bought it from his dad, he, you know, he became an announcer. He became a commentator. He ran this company and, you know, now he's doing this show and he's so good. He is good. Like, he, it's it. unbelievable yeah. really how good he is, especially compared to like some of the other people he has on the show. Yeah. And another thing cool about this episode in particular is you get to see, I feel like, the difference between um, post MTV wrestling and pre MTV wrestling. Yes. Like, you know, like Tony Gurria 
that guy is so fucking boring and I can see why he disappeared. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, you know what I mean? Like, like you know, like yes. when you got to 84, 85, there were people who could talk and there were people who couldn't. Yeah. And then, like, you know, the people who could talk went on to have big careers and the ones who couldn't didn't. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I mean, Gurria is so fucking boring. Even Orndorf is kind of boring until he gets pissed off. Yeah. And then he's, then he's entertaining. But like Gria is like, holy shit, like where did they fucking find this guy? Yeah, and it's pretty interesting like, about him too. So just let everybody know. So the episode that we're doing, you gotta have to dig a little bit for it. So it's on the Peacock. Yeah. Alright. Mm. And you're gonna look up uh season two, uh episode twenty nine. Okay. Now if you guys wanna pause it and watch it, I recommend it because I am gonna give obviously we're yeah. doing spoilers for it and everything, so Sure. And, I, and I definitely, if you guys want to see, I def, if you have time, you know, try to pause it, go watch it, and come back because they're, it's very interesting, especially at the end. <laughs> so, but let's get yes. into it though. But yes, uh, so we'll get on the we'll get on the Tony for a second, but we'll go like um, the the whole the whole program. So yeah, yeah we'll do the, the, the the start of it is basically we're learning about a newcomer to the World Wrestling Federation, Corporal Krishner. Okay. Oh yes. And and we have me and Gene Okren on assignment, okay. And we we start off. He's in the jungle. All right. He said he's yes. been through the jungle. The jungle. He's, he's been through jungles. He's been through swamps. He's trying to find this corporate Krishner guy, and he meets him. And the guy's just sitting there with this fucking uh, rifle. And he's like, you know, he's like, Gene, you followed me through airborns. You followed me through jungles and combats. You really want to talk to me, don't you? <laughs> Also, you telling me that Gene Gene has been following him through like war zones just to talk to this guy? Well, yeah, Gene. Uh, mean Gene was like he was hardcore. Yeah, that's I, why they call him Mean Gene. That's true. Yeah, but okay. um, he'll but, get the story. Yeah, but I guarantee you, this was filmed in Florida. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I about, can guarantee you, this was filmed in Florida. And the big thing about Corporal Krishner is he is from the eighty-two Airborne. I think that's a shoot. I think mm-hmm. that's real as well. I think he actually really was. Yeah, I think that's real. He was. He was actually a. Par- yeah, he was a really a real paratrooper. So yeah. the big thing about the thing that cracked me up the most about this was when he puts down the rifle and it's like, listen, I don't need this gun anymore. All right, I did all this training. I've done air combat training. I've done swamp training. I've done jungle training, and that's all led me to professional wrestling. I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking. Wait a minute. Uh, wait. Wait. wait a what? <laughs> <laughs> but that'd be way different now I mean this guy right here said he went to war in combat to get into professional wrestling now we have some fucking 18 yes. year old girl who graduates to high school and she already has a match on TV <laughs> like, that's way yes. different right it is it's way, way different it now but well <laughs> it, I mean well come on it's all different now right I mean I mean talking um, about night and day I'm like I was, like when I heard that I was yeah. like, th- like the only thing that reminds me of is uh remember when like w- they started the uh the WWE NXT UK like TV show yeah. or tournament and stuff and everybody in the UK had a backstory of how hard their life was like it was yes. like yeah brother yeah. I was on the fucking streets and I had to fight my way through to get here and then, oh let's talk to this next guy yeah brother I was on the streets okay and I came up <laughs> yeah, here it's, hard it's- <laughs> Like it's like they would, when NXT UK started, it was like they, it's like the story a gimmick was that they found all these homeless people and made wrestlers out of them. Apparently, exactly. Yeah, I know. It's like everybody had a hard life. Everybody had a hard story, and then fucking this guy, Corporate Krishner, he has to go through jungles and war zones just to compete in the WWF. 
And then fucking mm. uh, AEW, they just get some girl who graduates from high school. And like, oh, yeah, you seem like you're okay. Let's put you on TV. Oh, <laughs> uh, WWE is 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 they notorious that. for that. No, AEW is doing like, it. AEW is doing it. They uh, did it. They're with doing the, it now, yeah. So... It's just, it's just well, funny are you talking about Billy Stark? She's yeah, been Billy wrestling Stark. for years, though. Yeah, yeah, I She's get been it. wrestling right. for years. She's an actual wrestler. But, like, right. WWE will just go to, like, some, like, um, you know, like, what are the, whatever the, wherever those fitness models come from. And yeah. they're just like, hey, do you want to be a wrestler? Yeah, get up in here. Or football yeah. camps. Like, oh, you look like, jacked. Get up in here. And that's how we get, like, Dana Brooke yeah. and people like that, but. So after we get this, anyway. then 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 so we move on. We get our first guest of the evening, and that's Tony Garia. And just like Allison was yeah. saying, yes, this guy is super boring. Okay, oh like the, probably the most boring wrestler I've ever met. Or I don't know, maybe not, I didn't meet him ever, but I mean ever heard. Like he he is very plain, very vanilla suit. He's from New Zealand. Like this whole interview was basically like a promotional package to go visit New Zealand. And- <laughs> And the weird thing too was like at least at least through this promotional package at least Vince starts selling it at the end yeah because like when I started watching it I was like okay wait a minute like this is not in the eighties like the video footage you're showing is like from the sixties yeah like you can tell by the clothes that people are wearing and then you know and and then Gria is like talking about like New Zealand because. Because it's kind of implied that he's showing his homeland or whatever, right? Yeah. Like he's showing footage that he took of New Zealand. Yeah. And then and then Vince is like, wait, it's all of a sudden it's spring now. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, this is just video footage from New Zealand, isn't it? And he's like, yeah. Uh, yeah. And and it's like Gria acted like he'd never seen the footage before. Yeah, exactly. Like, never like seen he it. shows like like then when they're fishing off the sh- off the boat, he's like, yeah, he's like that's a marlin, I think. <laughs> 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 like holy shit like did he, uh, this guy's terrible Green and then, was and then the, the big gimmick was well yeah it was like fucking six million sheep around and mcmahon could not believe it <laughs> he's like what six million sheep oh my god that's crazy i thought it was like i thought he said 60 million oh yeah it could have been it's either six million or 60 million so yeah. lot, there's basically a lot of sheep around there that's like a big lot of thing. sheep in new zealand that's why we had the sheep herders yeah exactly so we do. They so, went sheep herding to become wrestlers. Exactly. See, they should have done a trio right there. They should have. But um, so during these interviews, we have a little, they cut to matches, like little clips of matches. So we do see Tony Guerrero versus Jesse the Body Ventura, and the whole little clip was just him working over the arm. And I was like, brother, can we get some action going on here? Like compared to what we see yeah. later on, this was boring as shit. Apparently, and, he was also boring in the ring. I skipped this part. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he was. And then they, he basically talks about how he competed in Madison Square Garden. He probably had like 200 matches in Madison Square Garden. I was like, mm. fuck. So, you know, we'll see Tony later on in the evening. But a little bit about him, like, you know, he was, he actually was with the World Wrestling Federation for a long time. And he was actually with them through the Attitude Era as well. Because he was actually uh, an agent for WWE for like ever. Because yeah. if you watch those old, like, Attitude Era Raws, and every time they have agents come out and break stuff up, Tony Guerrero was always right there. And mm-hmm. I can't remember. I can, I think he was popular backstage, but I can't remember right now. There, I couldn't remember if he was actually like super well loved or he was like fifty fifty. So, but but he but he was you know past his wrestling career, he was well known for being one of the prominent agents of the of the Attitude Era. True, yeah. true. Um, one thing before we move on that I forgot to mention um, when we were talking about Corporal Kirshner. Yeah. 
So um, he was uh, Leatherface. Oh yes. Um, and uh, so and- in that famous uh, deathmatch tournament where Mick Foley and Terry Funk are in it, the Leatherface character that's in that tournament is, is Corporal Kirshner. There you go. Just yeah. By the by. Yeah, it's very interesting to see like some of these wrestlers like transition to like deathmatch wrestlers, but we'll get to that. So the next yeah. guest is far from a deathmatch wrestler. It's Mister Wonderful mm-hmm. Paul Orndorff. Whereas this guy was yes. fucking awesome. This fucking guy was great. But this is like the part where he's like a baby face now. Even though I always preferred him as a heel. Yeah, because he seems like he like found Jesus or something, and now he's like a good guy. Yeah. So I don't really know what the storyline was going on, but like well, it couldn't have been. What I believe like he was just he was the heel in WrestleMania. Yeah. So he must have like something must have happened. So what I what what I believe I the storyline was was that since the him and, and Roddy lost a match between Hulk and Piper, I mean, Hulk, not, Hulk and Mr. T, my bad. Yeah. Um, Piper kind of blamed Orndorff on it. Because remember Orndorff was there. Maybe did, Yeah, remember Orndorff, he was in the match, but didn't he? I think he took the losing fall because he got hit by the cast from Bob Orton. Mm-hmm. And I guess Piper... I can't really remember. Yeah. That, yeah. What, what I believe, that's what I believe would happen because I know Bob... Orton interfered and he, and he I think he hit um, Paul with the, he, the cast. I believe so. And Piper blamed him for losing, so they started this blood feud, and apparently became into a feud with Bobby Heenan, where Bobby Heenan now put a bounty on his ass. So, and it's funny though because Vince is like, "Oh, this is the first ever bounty in wrestling." I was like, "Brother, we know <laughs> the first bounty in wrestling was fucking the uh, the bounty." Uh, wasn't it Flair putting one on? Wasn't it Harley Race putting one on Flair? Or there, there was something like that. Like they put a bounty on, like on, like I think it was Ric Flair putting a bounty on like Dusty Rhodes or Harley Race, like like a little bit before yeah, this. That's, I was trying to remember that when you, as soon as you mentioned it, because yeah, there is that did happen in Crockett Promotions. Yeah, um, I cannot remember though if it was Flair. Um. Putting it on Dusty, or I, I can't remember. Yeah, I would have I, to look I, I'm that pretty up. sure yeah, it was the Dusty not one. The first one. Yeah, yeah. But um, but yeah. So there's a bounty on him now. It's like about twenty five thousand dollars to take Bob Orton out. So we see a little bit of a match between Bob Orton and the Axe, brother. All right, the Axe. Yeah, I was a little disappointed when that happened because as soon as he said the Axe, I thought, oh, it's going to be Larry Henning, but no. What? No. There's some dude in a mask. Just the Axe. <laughs> <laughs> so they're fighting. Then we see this big uh, pull apart between Piper, Bob Orton, and all these different wrestlers. It was a good pull apart, though. I liked it. A lot of intensity. Yeah. So, when watching that reminded me of something. Some uh, as someone had mentioned about modern day wrestling, like a, a wrestler had commented on it. Um, it might have been Jim Cornette talking about it on the show. But anyway, he was. Well, so like when they do the pull apart, all the wrestlers come out to pull them apart, and none of them are wearing shirts. Yeah. <laughs> And like apparently that's like a thing. Like wrestlers just don't wear shirts when they're backstage. Yeah. Um. Because like, because I remember Cornette was saying that like he's like you know he's like if you don't want to wear a shirt that's fine but he's like you should wear a shirt when you go to catering. <laughs> like and and he's you know, and all these guys just sitting around with jeans and no shirts on just eating food. Yeah. But um. But but yeah, they're all like all not wearing shirts. Like I I just I, I find that amazing. Like. Why would you not just put a shirt on when you go backstage? If you put your jeans on, why yeah. would you not just put a shirt on? Fuck it, bro. I got to shut off them ripped muscles, brother. Right. Yep. Yep. So, 
now we cut back and and Paul's like talking about like how he's like you know he's sick and tired of all this you know people trying to sneak up and try to take the bounty but he doesn't really care mm-hmm. bring them all on he's an athlete he can handle it and then they 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 talk a little bit about uh, we, when they come back from the break we see a little bit more <clears throat> of uh of actual Piper and Paul fighting and bro this fucking clip they did of them fighting was and bro they were going at it like they were just like fucking yes. going out at like a hundred miles an hour throwing tables on each other like fucking brawling everywhere it was great and then yes. and then after this you know Paul would just explain like listen you know like you know I'm sick and tired of this guy coming after me you know but I don't really care you could bring it you could bring everybody over here I'll fight them all you know I'm just getting you know and then, you know, Vince was, like, saying, like, doesn't this put a toll on your body and everything? Like, isn't this going to wear out your body, like, doing these, like, crazy matches you've been doing? He's like, I'm an athlete. I can handle it. I'm a tough guy. I can handle it and stuff. I'm just sick and tired of this. Is that my fault? Hulk's sick and tired of this, too. Because you could tell at that time I was friends with Hulk now. So, mm-hmm. so they have the, pretty much a good feud going on there between Paul and Piper right now. I kind of enjoyed this uh, intensity segment that they had. Yeah, it was really, it was really good. So up next, we just got like a little. <laughs> this one's kind of interesting because we get a, our our next guest is going to be Jimmy Hart and the Hart Foundation, which is of course Bret Hart and Jim the Animal Nyhart. And I, at the time, I guess they're kind of new because we're just showing off like the yes. uh, the the team over here. We're showing a magazine with all the hearts on there. Uh, they're talking about the tag team titles. Uh, they're also st- this- they make fun of Alfred that he actually left there. Because Alfred and Jimmy don't get along, and uh, there was this scene with uh, with the junkyard dog pulling like water over Jimmy Hart, and Nat Nyhart mm-hmm. was like, "Yeah, since he has us, there's gonna be no more hanky panky around here." Hmm. So I was shocked when I saw this, um, and I'll, I'll I'll comment a few things as you talk about this segment. Yeah. I was I was shocked that Bret Hart didn't say a, almost didn't say a yeah. single word. Yeah, I was too. And and I know and why. I'm though. guessing that maybe you do know why. I was yeah. guessing it was just because he wasn't good on the mic yet. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So very early on, Bret Hart, even when he started off in wrestling, he was in Calgary and stuff. Um, he was never known to be the promo guy, which is weird right. because if you think of Bret Hart '97, '96, I mean this guy was fucking fantastic. But yeah. very early on in his career, he just wasn't a promo guy. Like, he was very... And he admits this, too. Like, he, he knew it. Like, I was very nervous on the mic. He said he never really got that much training on it. Um, so, he mm. said, like, you know, he, he was super excited about being in a team with Jim Nyhart because Jim could do all the talking. <laughs> you know, which right. he basically and, did. And, <laughs> which is weird to think because, like, when yeah. you go to the 90s, you would think that, okay, Brett's a talker and, and, and Jim would be the in-ring guy. Yeah. Um. But it, back then it was opposite. Although Brett was good at everything. I mean, yeah. like a lot of people, like not a lot of people, but I do hear people, especially on like Reddit and places like that, who talk about how, you know, Bret Hart's not one of the greatest of all time. And I don't know how anybody could really have that no, opinion. I hate no way. other people. Yeah. I hate when other people tell someone their opinion is wrong. But if your opinion is that Bret Hart, I mean, he might be the greatest of all time. But if you, if your opinion is, that Bret Hart is not one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. You don't know enough about wrestling for your opinion to matter. It's true. Because, I mean, he was nearly perfect. Yeah. When it comes to his body of work, I mean, it's basically nearly perfect. And he, over the years, you know, obviously developed his skills on the microphone. You know, they they weren't the best strong during 1985 like we see right now. 
you could tell there's a lot of talent there. But it was really good that he actually was in this tag match because he got to develop a lot of skills just being in this tag match. And then later on, you know, he he when he branched out, you know, he was getting more of a personality. But to me, uh, Bret Hart full package was the whole '97 era with Bret Hart. Like yeah, that was absolutely. the that was probably the pinnacle of his. To me, that was the pinnacle of his career. Even though I know, I know a lot of people like his uh, 90, 93 and '94 uh, run as well too. So mm-hmm. it just it just depends, and- but. Personally, me, I like the 97 era. Yeah, and with Neidhart, I've become actually a fan of Neidhart fairly recently in the last few years. I, he was my least favorite Hart Foundation member. Yeah. You know, I always loved Owen, and I loved Pillman, and I loved Bret Hart, of course. But Neidhart, I was never a huge fan of until fairly recently. But as I learned more about him, like, I really I really didn't see him wrestle. I actually like him a lot better now. But yeah. um, do you know why he's called the Anvil? Oh... Not off the this top of my trivia. head. All right, because when he first started wrestling in the late seventies, um, and he'd been in the Hart family for years because he'd been married to like Brett's sister since like the late seventies, I think. Um, but he, um, you know, he'd been wrestling much longer than Brett had, and uh, or maybe around the same time, I guess. But um, he used to be called Jim the Animal Nightheart. But in Calgary, like during Stampede season. Like I'm learning all this because I'm going to Calgary in the fall, nice. and Stampede season is like a uh, is like a, it's like basically a rodeo, and that's what Calgary was famous for other than wrestling. And um, so during Stampede season, he entered a contest where he was an anvil throwing contest. So an anvil is just a big, gigantic steel thing that you use to hammer out other steel things. So like you you know it's, it's 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 really heavy it's almost impossible to pick up and move they're super heavy. So he in, he entered an anvil throwing contest and he threw it 11 feet. Wow, okay. Which yeah, that's right. Is fucking astounding. Um so then from then on he became like Jim the Anvil Nightheart, which is a much better name than Jim the Animal Nightheart anyway. Yes. But but yeah, I just find that amazing like it's hard for me to believe. I need to look up anvil throwing contests on YouTube, but it's hard for me to believe anyone could throw an anvil 11 feet. Yeah. Strong dude right there. Very strong dude. And they're also talking we about... Get into the, yeah. Well, they're no, also but, talking about they, they were the youngest tag team in the WWF right now, and they're going after the belts, mm-hmm. and they're talking about Jimmy Hart's microphone gimmick being very distracting to the audience, but they don't care. They need to hear what he has to say. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, and then they go into their, their match. Yeah, a little bit of the the match that they had a little bit. I didn't really watch too much of the match, but it was just them versus I watched, uh, two people. Go ahead. Yeah, there was against them against two like just random people that I don't know who they were. But but the match scared the shit out of me when I was watching it because you know there's one of the guys the the white dude like he's just really just jacked. No, he's not jacked. He's just big. He's just a big white dude. And like those ropes in that match, you should go back and watch this if you skipped it. But, like, those are the loosest ropes I've ever seen. Yeah. Like, it terrified me. When that guy would go into the ropes, <clears> they would, like, they would go all the way back, like, rubber bands. Like, he was going to, how they was going to fall out of the fucking ring. Yeah. And then, like, any time anybody would, would hit, like, the mat, like, the ropes would just shake. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, there's no way that that was right. There, yeah. There's no way those ropes are too loose. They're like, fuck like, it, brother. Yeah. You, you do what like, you, they're you like, get. <laughs> Yeah, they're almost like lucha ropes where they're real loose, so yeah. I guess they can springboard on them more. But like this guy weighed too much to be in a match where he yeah. was like running into ropes that loose. Which is weird so, because usually yeah. the uh, WWF rings I heard back in the day they're basically just like old boxing rings, so they were yeah. hard as shit. Yeah. So, 
But up next, and they use steel cable supposedly, which I don't. But I don't think that's real. Yes. But up next, we got the main event, this brother. Is fantastic. <laughs> so I don't know where this footage has been, and I don't really know why this is not like publicized as much as it is, because this segment was one of my favorite segments now ever in pro wrestling. I don't know where this is. Why is this hidden? Because this needs to be shown in the archives of greatest footage that you can find. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> this history was so great. Okay, where the fuck? Where, where has this been on my life, bro? If I watched this back, I would be so pumped about this segment, and I would love Terry Funk. Okay, so let me let me uh, let me let me uh, uh, describe what's happening over here. Okay, so we have <laughs> we have like this like mock-up bar. Okay, you could obviously yes. tell it's like in like a studio room. It's like this mock-up yeah. bar. All right, I'm sure it was in the studio next, yeah. like in a little studio room next door to where they just were yeah. when they were talking to the Hart Foundation. Exactly. <laughs> it's like this little mock-up bar with Terry Funk and all his friends, all his Texas friends, brother cowboys over here drinking beer, brother playing poker because he's he's supposed to be in Texas, right? Yeah, he's supposed to be in Texas over here. Okay. And yeah, we'll I'm guessing, I mean, he said he's in, in yeah, he said he's all in his, this is his wholesome environment that he likes, you know? Yeah, right. Bro, this Terry Funk, he had fucking white cowboy boots on, jeans tucked into him, and he had this fucking <laughs> jean flower shirt. I was like, perfect. It was great. It was great. Bro, this Terry, this guy is fantastic. I mean, fuck. The, I mean, this guy, I mean, if, if he was to, you know. Yeah, but he'd be great today too. He'd probably be part of the Black Bill Combat Club. This guy is like great. All right. So 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 they're drinking beer and everything, and Vince with his suit on and Lord Alfred Hayes with his suit on walk into this bar to go yeah, like I guess the same interview. suits they were just wearing. They're just wearing in the, yeah. in the previous segment, yeah. <laughs> to go interview Terry. And now Fung. they're in Texas. All right. <laughs> So they they go talk to him and stuff, saying like, "Hey, about this, you know, this is this is like Vince, like, oh, this is the place you hang out with all your friends, like, yeah, these are all my friends and stuff." He's like, "Hey, hey, hey, Vince, let me tell you something, you know, you know what this is right here? This is a this is a cattle prod, you know, we know what we do to this in, in Texas, we 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 brand cattle, you know what I yeah, do? It's for, branding iron, yeah, yeah, branding iron, yeah. you know what I do with this in the World Wrestling Federation? I brand jackasses." And like people are like kind of laughing. He's like, laugh, everybody, laugh. He's like, he tells everybody to fucking laugh. Laugh more. He laugh and then he says, shut up. <laughs> I was like, and he's like spitting out the fucking tobacco out of his mouth. I was this, like, this yeah, is I was about to say, this is not even the best part. This no. is not even the best part. But you you could tell they only yeah. did this one time. Like they oh. only did one multiple. Oh, you only needed to do yeah, one like, time, bro. This guy, this <laughs> he nailed it. Perfect. You know, you only need to do this one when time. And then he spits out the tobacco, and then he and spits it on his shirt. Yeah, while drinking sleeve, beer, by accident. <laughs> while drinking. So I don't know. I don't. I, I don't. I don't chew tobacco, so oh. I don't know anything about this. But if anybody out there does, I would love to understand how you spit. Yeah, you chew tobacco and drink beer at the same time. Well, my, listen. I used to be able to chew tobacco, <laughs> and if you saw that shit, that shit is not good. Okay. No, no, I can't imagine that it's good, but that's not my argument. My mm. argument is, so like you're chewing tobacco and then you spit out the juice, right? Yeah. That's 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 how this works. But how do you drink beer and chew tobacco at the same time? You can't. I mean, I got maybe I don't know. Maybe well, Terry Funk can. Yeah. Well, he has a stomach of iron. That's why. <clears throat> 
I mean, God damn. I mean, Terry <clears throat> Funk, that guy, that guy was a man. Like, oh, yeah, this no guy is fucking awesome. Bro, there's, this ain't no gimmick um, here, brother. This is like him. No, there's no, this is no gimmick. This is Terry Funk. But like, awesome. the thing that also amazed me is Terry Funk, this is 1985. Yeah. Terry Funk's already 41 years old. Jesus. <laughs> right. He's already 41 years old. And he uh, was wrestling matches right before COVID happened. Yeah. So in 2019, he was still wrestling. Yeah. Some great, I mean, that's incredible. And, that's just crazy. And incredible. compared to some of the matches he did, I mean, this guy went on to be like a deathmatch wrestler of all things. He ran, he was an ECW for a million. I mean, this guy was a nutcase. Mm-hmm. But he's like, fuck, yeah. bro. He just kept going. Fuck it. That's a man right there, bro. That's for sure. So yeah, we see Terry Funk. God, you you yeah. have to respect him. Oh yeah. So we see and fuck his match. This match was great. Like this little clip we got of him beating Paul Roma's ass. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, fuck, yeah. bro. Like every time I look at Terry Funk during this during this era, I mean, there you cannot tell me that John Moxley does not copy Terry Funk. You cannot tell oh, me. Oh, we that. absolutely did. I mean, it, it, everything. Me, everything about. Yeah, throughout his career, like Moxley when he was in CZW up to even what he's doing now is a combination of Terry Funk and Heath Ledger's Joker. Yeah. Like that's what it that's what he seems like to me. He's like he took those two things and put them together. Yeah. And then that's like that's that's who John Moxley is. Because yeah, the, he absolutely copies Terry Funk. I mean the matches were so similar. Like the the match the match that uh we saw in this clip was basically like I said Terry Funk beating Paul Roma's ass. And he would yeah. the way he was fighting and beating him reminded me of how like the black pool combat club goes out and beats people up you know they hard shots make it look realistic like they're in a fucking fight a lot of elbow smashes mm-hmm. and stuff he even got him up for like this spinning suplex out of nowhere did you see that it's like some, yeah. he got him up for yeah, a suplex and like spin his ass around i never even seen that before i was like fuck he spins his ass around drops his ass and does a fucking the texas uh toe hold which is a great submission hold we didn't bring that shit back brother. yes yeah we need yeah john moxley needs to do the texas toe hold that's that's mm-hmm. what he needs to do um, and I guarantee you, if you walked up to him at a fan convention and said, hey, you should do the Texas toe hold, he would know exactly what you're talking about. Because right. he probably got everything else he does from Terry Funk, too. Yeah. But which is not saying anything bad about Moxley. I love John Moxley. But um, but yeah, so the yeah, so that is a lot like what the BCC is now. They're kind of they're kind of like a throwback stable in a way. Yeah. Um, you know, that gets like old school wrestling sort of. Yeah. In a way. Just like, you know, fighting, and beating people up and doing submission holds. I mean, I, I love it. Yeah. So, so we cut back and Terry Terry Funk's like, well, where, where, where the fuck was the branding at? And Alfred Hayes was like, I took that out. <laughs> He's like, what the fuck? You took that out, All right? He's like, well, why don't I just why don't I brand you, jackass? <laughs> and then and then so Alfred's like, this is go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was gonna I was gonna let you go finish. I'll, oh, I'll, t- I'll say what I'm saying. So then Alfred says like, well, you, you, all your family acts like this. All your family is just like this. He's like, don't bring my family into this, brother. (laughs) So is it, so is that, I don't know. So I reacted to differently to that than I think I was supposed to. And maybe it's because like I have the same thought pattern, but like, so I thought going up to this point, I thought going into this, that Terry Funk was the heel. Yeah. But then as soon as that happened, I'm like, okay, is, is, is Lord Alfred Hayes the heel? No, no. Um, because, you know, he's like bringing up his family, and then Terry's like, don't talk about my family. And I'm like, well, holy shit. Like, I'm now I'm a sudden on Terry Funk's side because, yeah. like, you know, don't, I mean, like, he just, I don't know. Like, that was just like a shitty comment to make. 
Well, um, kind of. There was like, a. That would have pissed me off. There was some history behind it. So basically, you know, Dory Funk was around there yes. too, and he was a bad guy, and he had a bad attitude to, as mm-hmm. well. So that's why Alfred Hayes is bringing that up. It's like, oh yeah, just like his brother, like it's just like his family members. They all have bad attitudes. But you know, the thing is, Alfred took off that footage because he thinks it's barbaric of them branding wrestlers. So that's the Which, whole. Uh, I mean, granted, it would be barbaric <laughs> to for brand a person, yes. And then, so also too, like I love how <laughs> about Terry Funk doesn't he doesn't say McMahon and I mean, he says hey Yankee, <laughs> yes, he just calls him a Yankee. He calls him a Yankee the whole time. <laughs> yes, he's like, what do you want, Yankee? He's like, well, you got a bad attitude. And then and Terry Funk, oh, oh, I got a bad attitude, huh? He's like, well, maybe I'm middle aged and crazy. I was like, middle aged and crazy. Let's get it, brother. This guy was fucking fantastic. And then, <laughs> and then, oh, then he gets better. <laughs> Of all people, fucking Tony <laughs> Guerrero walks in. I'm like in the yeah. same suit. Bro, I was like, "What is going on here? This is gonna go like Terry Guerrero." Tony Guerrero just happened to be in Texas. Yes. and walk into this bar. So Tony Guerrero shows up because you know he was the the guy they just like did an interview for. So he he's like he's like Alfred Hayes and McMahon's backup brother. You know we we ain't gonna mess around with this rugby Tony Tony Guerrero player. You know, so Tony mm-hmm. sits down. McMahon's like, oh, how do you like this environment and stuff? And Tony's like, oh, I like this. You know, he's trying to be all like this environment. And then um, McMahon was asking <laughs> Terry Funk about New Zealand. And Terry Funk was like blowing it off. And then he was like, McMahon's like, oh, come on. Come on, Terry. Like, we got guests here. We're hanging out in this nice environment. Like, where, where's our beers at? T- Terry gets the uh, the waitress to bring him some beers. And our fucking boy, Tony, starts flirting with her a little bit. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm New Zealand. She's like, oh, I never been to New Zealand. He's like, oh, you should try it and stuff. And then, so McMahon's trying to ask like Terry Funk questions, and boy, you should have saw the look on this guy's face. <laughs> he's like, he's <laughs> like, this motherfucker walks into my bar, hits on my waitresses in front of my friends. Uh uh-uh. uh, you don't do that uh-uh. to Terry Funk shit. And you know, Tony basically gets up. He's like, hey, excuse me, guys. He starts flirting with the little a waitress by the little mock-up bar, <laughs> and like they're talking. He like spits the fucking tobacco on the floor. He's like, I'll be yeah. right back. Fucking grabs a beer <laughs> bottle. Fucking smashes this motherfucker over the head. Out, and he beats his ass. Fucking throws his ass around everywhere. Fucking throws him on the table and stuff. Like smashing bottles around his ass. Picks his ass up. Calls him a fucking pig. I was like, where the fuck did this come from? This is great. Yeah. like it this, fa- It's fantastic. This was a great angle cool. to start a feud between the two. And I was yeah. like, this is like, this is great. Like, where, where... How come nobody like? Why is this not publicized and like the greatest, greatest like wrestling moments and shit? I I love this. I thought this the whole segment was fantastic. All due to Terry yeah, Funk. Well, mostly. I mean, it's all due to exactly. It's all due to Terry Funk. And I was gonna say like when Gurria gets there, like you can tell how out of his element or how out of his league he is. Like, <laughs> but that was the like point, though. That was the point. talking. Yeah. I mean, maybe that was the point, but he sounds like he like. He like when he's in the same room with Terry Funk, he looks like he's standing still. Yeah. Like he's like he's just sitting there, like with no look on his face, no expression. And is he sounds like he's whispering when compared to Terry Funk. Yeah. And and not in a good way, not like a Jake Roberts way. Like he's just like, Yeah, okay, yeah. I've been to Texas. I like Texas. I like Who this environment. Ha ha ha. Yeah, I like this environment. Like it's, it's literally that bad. And then he's and but like one thing that I, I don't know if you noticed this that I thought was really cool. Terry is really good with improvisation. Oh improv, yeah, improv, 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 improvising things. I get tangled over that word sometimes. Anyway, so you know when he's smashing up the bar, 
like he, I don't know if you noticed, but he picked up a chair and he was going to smash it on the floor, but it slipped out of his hand. Yeah. So he, he threw it instead of like picking it up and smashing it on the floor. He like he lifted it up and it and basically threw it backwards because it slipped out of his hand. But to make that look like he was supposed to do it, um, he just picks up all the other chairs and throws them up in the air too. <laughs> <laughs> he was so good at that. Like any time in a match, anything yeah. would go wrong. He would basically like do something to make it look like that was what was supposed to happen. Yeah, like he was really he's really really good at that thinking on his feet. Um, but yeah, this was fantastic. I mean, Terry Funk's one of the greatest of all time, right? I mean, yeah. we can't argue with that either. But, I mean, he's fantastic. But like, fantastic. I mean, it just shows though. Like, you could show who the greats are when they can do promos in the yeah. ring. Fantastic. They have they have great realistic wrestling matches. And when you put them in a skit environment like this was, I mean, knocks it out of the park. I mean, fuck, you know, not mm. a lot of people can do that as we've seen. Right. But this Terry Funk, bro, yeah, like this guy, he, I'm, if I watched it, I'd be like, this, I would, I would, I don't know about you, but I would be totally in the, I mean, how can you not like Terry Funk over this Tony Gurria guy after this? Like, there's like no way. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm going to be pulling for Terry Funk. Yeah, even if he's like watching it, like has a, well, I can see maybe as a kid, maybe, but like, there's no way like teenagers and stuff. They're like, yeah, fuck this fucking Tony guy. This Terry Funk's all the way. So... And then we have uh, McMahon and Alfred are closing out the show. Basically, tell them, talk about all the mayhem that happened and how you know Terry Funk did a sneak attack on him, even though he's like a tough guy and everything. And he's like, "Oh, it was just so happy to have all his friends here and here, and they're all laughing, and they all, I guess, all text and stick together." Ha ha ha! And then we <laughs> we end the show. So pretty pretty nice little episode. Um, you know, I definitely wanted to watch that because of the uh, the, the Terry Punk poker uh, segment. But uh, it, you know, I always love to talk about these shows, like these. Tuesday Night Titans, anytime they match up with one of our reviews, I always get very excited. So, Yeah, I'd never really seen these until uh, we started doing this show and you would have me watch one occasionally. Yeah. But, like, apparently this show used to be two hours long, and that I cannot imagine. Like, I cannot imagine Tuesday Night Titans being two hours long. But at, at, uh-huh. at an hour, which comes out to, you know, 44 minutes, that, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine, yeah. I, I couldn't imagine being two hours either. That for an hour, 44 minutes is, is perfect length for this uh, particular show yeah. all right so let's switch over to the metal music of what was happening during the movie release dates in the metal um so you know we're gonna do like a little bit of a detour we know you know we talk about other genres of music here and there and obviously this uh, so this movie is obviously very also re- well known for having a really good soundtrack to it so and I always do love horror movie soundtracks. I always think that those are those are very fun to have when you can have like you know famous bands do like songs dedicated to your movie. I always think that's really, like a really cool like combination. Um, but this one actually has a really good um, punk soundtrack to it um, for a lot of like noticeable punk bands and um, gothic punk bands during the time of 1985. So, <clears throat> so you know some of them was the uh, the Cramps were on there. Mm-hmm. They did that surfing dead. You know, obviously the Cramps is one of the, you know, probably like one of the the highest like gothic punk bands I can think of. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, I'm not a hu- as much of a fan of this type of music as you are. Like, I don't really like Psycho Billy or yeah, um, you know, modern day goth music or anything like that. Like, I, I don't really like a lot of that. I did like, I, I like, I've never saw the appeal of the Cramps. Like, I've just never liked them. Um. But I do like 45 Grave. They're on here, too. Yes. Uh, the Damned. So I do like some of these bands. Yeah. I mean, I just like the... I mean, you know, like I said, yeah, you got to have... To me, the Cramps are like, you know, they had that, that neon you know, punk goth 
kind of like sound to them you know yeah i just yeah. you know so that's kind of like a i i, I kind of has like party music in a way you know kind of like late huh, night goth party music yeah. and stuff so and i like that their song surfing dead was pretty fun i liked it i liked it we'll probably play that one towards the end of the show um but you know it's just a, a style of music that i thought fit the 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 movie pretty well especially what they were um trying to get with the rebellious acts to them but you know they have a couple bands on here i wasn't super familiar with like t-s-o-l um they had the song they played I- for them, nothing yeah, I'm actually a huge, I'm a pretty big TSOL fan. Like their early music is really good. Okay. I like TSOL a lot. Yeah, I um, mean that's one of the uh, true, the true sounds of Liberty. That's like one of the one of the bands on this soundtrack that I actually do like a lot. Yeah, strangely, and I thought their uh, um, their songs are very well too. And it's like you know all these songs are like based on like dead and being dead and stuff. Um, because you know obviously we're talking about the return of the living dead, so they're keeping that uh, tradition with all these songs on there. Um, we have the fr- the the flesh eaters. Uh-huh. Eyes without a face, and of course the damned deadbeat dance. So, and we got a couple um, other songs on there too by uh, SSQ. Uh, they were mm-hmm. on this as well, and uh, we do have. Um, there are some songs that were actually in the in the film by some of these bands, but it wasn't necessarily on the soundtrack itself. Like Forty Five Grave, um, they did um, uh, a party time uh, single version. Uh, the this version actually was using the film, though not on the official soundtrack album. So they'll say so. The a song that was in the movie wasn't the exact song that was in the, the soundtrack at the time. Right, it's not the it's not the same version. Yes, and we also had a um uh the the the, the a song by Straw Dogs that was later inserted into the 1991 uh, Hamdale version. And the DVD and Blu-ray releases, though not on the official soundtrack album. So, a couple of stuff with it. So, you know, like I said, like it's always fun to have a uh, like a soundtrack. I mean, I definitely probably would have, if I saw the obviously if I saw the trailer for this one, I'd have been like, I would have bought this soundtrack. I would listen to it, and I, I could see us driving around, you know, playing a little bit of the 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 the, the goth and the punk bands a little yeah, bit to yeah. kind of get ourselves excited. So yeah, like I would have definitely like like listed the soundtrack. I mean, I like um, Rocky Erickson's also on it, and I'm a huge Rocky Erickson fan. So uh, this is not the best song I've ever heard him write, but um, but yeah, he's um, but I'm a huge Rocky Erickson fan. So this would have been a good soundtrack to have. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of hard to find it now. I was trying to look it up, see if I could buy it anywhere. And you know what? I can kind of find it. Like the one, a bed. Yeah, there there's like a couple of special vinyls that this was released Mm. on. Um, yeah. but I was trying to find like maybe like a CD or something. I could not find anything. So everybody out yeah, there, I mean, it, it, pretty much YouTube. Probably not pressed on CD anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. But you know, at this time, I definitely would have got the uh, the what is it the 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 tracks, you know, the little cassette tape, mm-hmm. get the little vinyl cassette tape. Yeah, All right. get the, get a good one. So, but we'll play a little bit towards the end of the film. Probably the Cramps song on there. That was yeah. that was my favorite. Oh. So. Sure. But let's get into who booked this shit, brother, for the return yeah, I got a lot of to the say living about dead. This. this is going to be good. Yes, it's going to be a good one. So the director is actually doing his director debut. It's going to be Dan O'Bannon. All right, he's the director of this film. And a couple production notes about it. So, so apparently, 
what Dan said on his director debut was he said, I spent 37 years of my life not being alive. Now I'm fulfilled. So I, so he was very, very looking forward to making this movie and he was all in on it, which is also really good to, you know, it's always good when somebody's like super invested in their, their, their film and, you know, making it all right. I thought he did a great job of uh, scene shots well, yeah, and everything. I so. think so. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I think that it looked really good. I mean, he had a huge um, history in, in film even before and after this, but yeah. Um, and, but, you know, I'm a huge Dan O'Bannon fan. Like I really, really like his writing like the moves that he wrote. And I think that honestly, that's what saved this movie. Yeah. Like t- t- this, this really for me is usually the kind of thing I hate. <laughs> yep. Like this type of movie. Like I hate when somebody makes a comedy out of something that I love, which is kind of what this is. Like, it's kind of like taking night of the living dead and, and turning it into a, a silly comedy. Yeah. Um, you know, it, and it, and it, it takes the importance out of like, it makes something I love that's super serious into something goofy. And I don't like that normally, but this movie's written so well that you can't, I can't help but like it. Exactly. But yeah, Dan O'Bannon, I mean, he's written a lot of things. He wrote Alien, for yes. one thing. Yes. In 1979. Life he Force. He did the, um, he wrote Life Force, which is on in the archives for Retro Blood, if you guys want to go back for that. Um, he wrote Dead and Buried, which is what we're going to do on this show eventually. Um, and one thing that's kind of cool is he worked on Star Wars. So he did the computer effects, the computer graphics for Star Wars. So I don't know if, if you know this, uh, James, but Star Wars was the very first movie that ever had computer graphics on it. Oh, man, that's very interesting. The, the very first CGI was in Star Wars. And it's in the scenes where um, uh, you've seen the Star Wars, right? You're familiar with it? Yes, of course. Yes. Okay. Right. So at the at the end of it, when they're um, when the when they get the plans back with R two, and they're showing them the uh, the the plans on the screen and how they're going to run go down the trench and blow the Death Star up. So those those that scene where it's showing the trench, that was the very first computer graphic ever used in a movie. Wow! And Dan O'Bannon did that. He made he made that. So I think that's kind of interesting. Yeah, that's very cool. film nerds. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. So a couple of stuff about the film. So the film has its roots in a novel by John Russo, also called There the was Return. a book. There was a book, brother. <laughs> did you ever read the book? No, I didn't know it existed till I researched this, but I got to find this now because I guess so. John Russo, the guy that wrote that book, he uh, he was the writer with George Romero and Night of the Living Dead. So yes. I guess he wrote a novel that was a sequel. Yeah, so basically it says that uh, Russo retained the rights to any titles featuring Living Dead, while Romero was free to create his own series of sequel beginning with Dawn of the Dead. So interesting. When they co wrote it, so I guess, so. <laughs> So I guess Russo had the rights to Living Dead, okay, mm-hmm. and then so he that's why he created like Return of the Living Dead, but then Romero still had rights to do his own, so he did Dawn of the Dead. So they kind of just split and made two different paths of movies. You know? Right. So that explains why Dawn of the Dead doesn't have the Living Dead title in it. Exactly. Anymore. Yes. So Russo and producer Tom Fox planned to bring Return of the Living Dead to the screen in 3D, and directed by. Tobe Hooper. That'd have been something. Toby Hooper. Toby Hooper. Yeah, that would have been great. So Dan O'Brien was brought in to give the script a polish, and after Hooper backed out to make Life Force, which we reviewed here, like you said, on the Retro Blood, 
mm-hmm. O'Brien was offered to direct a seat, director's seat, becoming his first big film. He accepted on the condition he could write the film radically so as to different diff, to make it different from Romero's films. So, which is mm-hmm. a great idea. I mean, that's a, you know, you don't want to, you know, that's a good idea, you know. You don't want to like exactly copy something does just like it. You want to kind of make it your own and see if you can, uh, you know, bring a different life to it. So I thought that's cool. So the the film was the first production design credited for William Stout, who would go on to to uh, the do production design for the Conan the Bri- the Conan the the Barbarian franchise among other films. So we talked about William Stout over here. He's done a couple movies in the uh, in the Retro Blood archives. Mm-hmm. So the appearance of the zombies in the film was inspired by the mummies of Guatemala, Mexico, and the bog people of Wales, as well as artwork from EC Comics. So that's how some of the uh, the zombies were uh, inspired from. So the story featured two, four, five Trixen chemical developed by the Darrow Ke- Chemical Company. For the military, it was a plan on the real life Da Doe chemical company and its involvement in the 1960s with the manufacture of agent orange scientifically known by the name of 245 t toxin and used in the u.s military operations ranch hand and the canadian cb cfb gagetown canadian force base so yeah so yeah so basically what what they're saying is that so this was like this was kind of like a um so what i'm looking for it was kind of like a radical thing to have in a movie in a way because yeah. it was definitely like like it was like a it was like a a I mean it's not overt really it's not like up front but there it's definitely like in the background but it's definitely like an anti-Vietnam thing because Agent Orange was a big deal during this time because all these soldiers were because Dow created Agent Orange and they basically to to basically spray on the plant on the trees in Vietnam and then the le- it would the leaves would die and fall off. So then the the Viet Cong couldn't really hide in the trees as, as easily. But what but they didn't test it enough and it ended up giving all these soldiers cancer. And that was becoming a big deal around this time was like they were starting to get, you know, find out they were they got cancer from Agent Orange and then they were kind of starting to sue the government for that kind of thing because they would just spray it on the soldiers too. Um so that's why this was happening at this time because it was it was kind of a big deal, you know, in the mid '80s when these soldiers were trying to like, you know, get their medical bills paid by the government for nearly yeah. killing them. So you know, during the the actual movie, <clears throat> it's not like they actually like name the gas, like it being the Agent Orange or the two four five. They don't name it like that. But basically, what the the character Frank just says, he just suggested it was just some chemical they use for for cannabis. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, it's just some, you know, just some one of those uh, the, the, the little sprays you put on cannabis. And I was just thinking, like, you know, watching well, it nowadays, I'm like, fuck, bro, we, we'd all be zombies nowadays. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's what they're talking about. Like, it was made to spray on cannabis crops to make them die in the '60s. Yeah. So interesting. So, although the movie is set in Louisville, Louisville, Kentucky, it was filmed yeah. in Burbank. Yeah. Uh, Selmar and downtown Los Angeles in California. So, even though it was taking place in Kentucky, brother. So, um, and th- there is, uh, you know, there's a couple of notice- noticeable actors and actresses 
um, obviously that we have um, trash she's she's on here our girl who's like the the scream queen of this era uh, quickly yeah Lydia uh, Quigley yes this is one of her one of her first roles and you know we, we, we've done films with her in a bear before you know like silent night mm -hmm. deadly night I was about to say um, she was in that yeah yeah so we've done a couple films with her in there before um, this is probably like one of her most like noticeable ones um so this basically this one kind of like earned her like the the the, the scream queen uh of uh a uh, title basically kind of doing this yeah. one and then later on going doing a bunch of other ones in the 80s uh during this time as well too like i say we're, we're gonna be talking about her a lot but uh yes. there there is a a couple of things that she was saying about i just want to bring that up over here about what she was saying about her uh filming experience with this movie because you know she did half this movie pretty much naked yeah, she's basically naked through the entire movie <laughs> yes. after after about thirty minutes into it. Yeah, so you know the filming. She basically said the filming conditions were just tough. You know, cold, muddy, and everything. Like, I mean, there's a scene where her butt ass naked going through fucking mud, and ain't ain't no fucking AI mud and that shit. That's fucking real mud. No, it's <laughs> real mud. Yeah. So and then you know it's just cold out there and everything. It just like she said like the filming conditions were just really really tough. You know, to do this whole film, like she would constantly get sick and cold all the time. So. But I mean, man, what you know? This girl, she's just been like in everything. So we'll be talking, like I said, we'll be talking about her a lot. So, but yeah, I mean, like you know, got a lot of good actors and actresses on here. So I say, let's yeah, get Tom into it. Matthews. Well, hold on. What, what we also had Tom Matthews, who would go on to be uh, um, Tommy in Friday the Thirteenth Part Six. He played yeah. Freddy. Um, and then, um, Jewel Shepard was also in this playing Casey. She was like the other punk rock girl, um, who she, um, I mean, she's not like a famous actress, but she's been in a lot of B movies. Yeah. And he's also going to be in the return of the living dead part two as well. So, mm -hmm. but everybody, I say, let's get into it. I say, let's get into the full review of the return of the living dead. Let's do it. In the dark of the night, something strange is going on. You see that movie, Night of the Living Dead? Sure. They ship those bodies. Well, say hello. The dead. Have risen from the grave. Mister, there's a hundred of those things out there. How many did you say? A hundred. And now the question is, how do we get them back into the ground? Frank, we have a little problem. Four left, ten right. No. Because technically, you're not alive. Why do you eat people? 
Not people. Brains. How do you kill something that's already dead? Well, how do I know, Fred? I don't know. Let me think. It's not a bad question, Bert. In that movie, they destroyed the brain to kill him. Is that what they did? The brains, right? Brains. is nervous. The police are confused. Send more cops. It worked in the movie! Well, it ain't working now. Bring the movie line! It's not a bad question, Bert. It's not a bad question, Bert. It's not a bad question, Bert. The return of the living dead. Alright, so we start everything. And it is July 3rd, 1984. One day before July 4th. And we are at Mm -hmm. the Undeed Medical Supply Warehouse. And we're meeting one of the employees there. His name is Frank. And we're meeting Frank's boss. His name is Bert. And we're meeting a new employee that Frank is showing around. And his name is Freddy. And this place is like a medical supply warehouse unit. So if like universities or doctor's offices need certain uh, materials, medical materials and cadavers and dead bodies, they get it from here and they ship it to them. So Bert's bringing up the whole July 4th party. They're going to be having on later on. And they're showing them having a uh, you know, good relationship with each other. And now Frank is showing the new guy, trying to impress him with these uh, skeleton and then teeth. The skeleton teeth. And Freddy was just asking, like, you know, where do you get all these skeletons out all the time? And they start talking about India and how India probably has, like, a big skeleton farm. <laughs> okay, Skeleton farm, yes. yes. And then Frank keeps showing them around. He shows them some two-headed dogs that they have um, on on display, and then he shows no, them. No, they're half dogs. Oh, half dogs. That's right. Yeah, half dogs. Yeah, they're they're, they're cut in half. They're yeah. cut in half dogs. Do some you know medical testing on them, and then he shows them a, a dead body that they keep in the cooler. And Fred's like, "We keep a lot of dead bodies here." It's like, "Well, you know, I don't want the uh, inventory going bad." Ha ha ha. <laughs> so funny, yes. Funny guy. And then, then we cut to a scene. Then we see this whole punk triad over here, okay? And there's fucking everybody here. And this is when we meet some of our punk kids. And the main girl, Tina, she's the one that's the girlfriend of Freddy, the guy who has the warehouse job. And the, basically, the kids, they're looking to go party, all right? And they're like, oh, wait a minute, Fred, he always knows the good party spots. Let's go meet him at the warehouse and ask him where the party spots are at. So now we're back at the warehouse and, and, and Frank, you know, they're, they're sitting there at the desk and everything. And Fred's asked him like, hey, you know, what's like the craziest thing you've ever seen here? And then uh, this is when Frank uh, reveals this story. He's like, oh, you want to hear you want to hear the crazy thing I've ever seen here? Well, I'll tell you. He's like, you ever seen that movie, The Night of the Living Dead? I was like, oh, OK, we're breaking kayfabe over here. OK, he's like, he's like, yeah, that's a that, that, that that's a true story. And Fred's like, no way, that's just a movie. He's like, no, no, that really happened. He's like, so what happened was there was like this, uh, there was like this toxin, all right? 
and they got sprayed on cannabis. Alright, and then this shit leaked into like the hospital. Alright, after it was making everybody sick. And it leaked in the hospital and started making bodies like move. And so it's like, you know, and it's like, oh, it's like, yeah, Hollywood, they just, uh, you know, they just, you know, made it a little different. But that was actually a true story that happened. And guess what? So the army, they, they had these like tanks that they kept the bodies in. And they were supposed to ride them to a, uh, a certain site. But they got routed over here instead. And we kept the shit down in the basement. And, and the guy gets kind of freaked out about it. And he's like, do you want to see them? <laughs> I was like, fuck yeah, I'll see this shit. <laughs> so this, yeah, let's go see the zombies. Or the, yeah, the, the, the army uh, uh, plotted zombies that got shipping orders. So I mean, I, my thing is, okay, if it was a shipping mistake... Like, because we see scenes of they basically, so now we're cutting back, we see the uh, the Colonel Glover, and he is the one who apparently has to be on this particular medical, not medical, um, uh, uh, army base or army housing, and his job is to get intel about where these, these, um, these tubes are at. And you could tell that he hates his job because the wife and everything are just not having a good time staying there because he doesn't want to have his uh, lamb chop meal. And she doesn't like all this technology being around everywhere. But he's like, listen, I have to be at this house. And I got to keep this stuff on because if they find those tankers, I got, they got to reach me any point of the day all the time. So so this is when we see the uh, Frank and we see uh, uh, Fred go down the uh, the basement area. Is like, hey, watch the third step. I'll come up later. And they walk all down, and then they eventually go to the to the uh, the, the little tubes. And the tubes are like, it says on them, army property. All right, don't touch your stuff. And they they open up the little tubes. They actually see the little zombie's face in there. Fred gets a little freaked out. I like how Frank like sprays it, and he like wipes it with the whole paper towel roll, not just one little paper towel, the whole thing. Yes. Oh, there, there was another funny thing too. I don't know if you realize this, Allison. Like, so this is like a place of work and stuff. Yet this fucking Bert and Frank—they just got a bunch of pictures of naked girls everywhere. Well, so I have an I have an in-universe explanation for that. Okay. So they work a job where the, they're the only, basically them and their boss who left for the holiday weekend um, are the only people who ever work there. So yes. it doesn't really matter. I got like you. it doesn't really matter what they do. They just kind of sit around. Well, I mean, even Bert like, explains that. Like, all they do is sit around until an order comes in, and then they fill it. Because remember, he shows them how to fill the crate with the skeletons, and you yeah. put the put the bubble wrap in there, and then yeah. you put the skeleton in there, and that's yeah. it. Pop, so, yeah. that, they, so that explains that. They don't really do anything. They just sit around in this, uh, uh, you need a medical supply building, and then just, uh, uh, and that's it. And yeah. just drink coffee and talk and look at naked girls on the wall yeah and have uh dangerous zombie toxins in their basement no problem well i mean they're not supposed to get out but of course yeah. these idiots fuck it up yeah so he so they're there and fred asks like well i mean like does it ever like leak and fred's like of course it doesn't leak look this watch this it's meant to be the army don't watch look at this <laughs> he hits it and just fucking leaks out <laughs> and there's a spray this was also side. a common joke of the time as well yeah. like how it, you know, like our stuff made for the U.S. Army was like not made to the highest quality. Yeah. So like this, but it had a reputation for being great. So like this is uh, 
you know, this is this was made by the U.S. Army, and then he kicks it, and then all of a sudden the gas starts flying out of yeah. it. Yeah, and they all pass, they all pass out and stuff, and this is when we get our intro. And then I already talked about Glover. Uh, you know, he has to be at the house. He doesn't like lamb chops. He 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 goes into his station, says he's he is in station uh, six, and he gives the hours when he's there. And he's basically on call to see if any disasters happen with these tubes. He needs to find them. So now it's seven thirty p.m. Like we 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 we're getting like like a. a, a, a uh, clock down oh and by the way yeah. um i don't know why i skipped this part but at the beginning it said this story is based on true events yeah doesn't it say that it's based uh-huh. on true events and all the people's names are real and everything yeah just like, like i yeah. guess just like they did in the night of the living dead so this is all a true yeah, story true. brother all right in kentucky man they're wild down there so at 7 30 p.m with all the punk guys they're in the car and stuff and they're all like they're saying like yeah the guy picked up by this guy named so his name he's he, he basically you know what he remind me of so is the main guy in the car his name is mm-hmm. suicide okay yes and he reminded me of if you took biff from back to the future <laughs> and yeah. you made him like the misfits this would be suicide because they are basically like the same character Okay. Kind of, yeah, yeah. Like what, what, it, what this took, what that got out of this was like when they made this character, they were just like, find every punk rock cliche thing that you can find in a magazine with pictures of punk rockers in it, and put it on this guy. Yes, this guy had, had the, the nose ring yeah, that the, attached to his ear. Yeah, yeah, he had the little mullet, and he had like no, he had like the shaved head mullet style. What do you know, like the uh, mohawk style a little bit. It's like a yeah, it's like yeah. a mohawk, but it goes down in the back. Yeah. yeah, he had the little nose ring thing, chains all over him, yeah. stuff. He bas- and he acted like Biff. Yeah, like he was weird. So he's all pissed off and stuff because he doesn't want to go hang out at the factory. So they get to the factory, and Tina, which is Freddie's girlfriend, says he doesn't get off until ten. And he's like, "Well, fuck, I don't want to drive around. These fucking people don't got money for gas." All right, and then it was, um, I believe it was Casey's idea. She's like the other punk rock girl. She's like the more like the 80s, like uh, big hair, like a, she's, you know. Yeah, she's like a new wave kind of girl. Yeah, new of. wave, yeah. She she suggests going into the um, the cemetery to hang out until 10, and they all agreed to sure. do that. And we have, um, we're, we're going to have um, a trash, all right? She's there. <laughs> And we're gonna have uh, uh, Scuzz, and we're gonna have Spider. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they're all hanging out. Um, so they're yeah, and they have to. So they go to the cemetery. They have to break in, and the cemetery is all like graffitied up, and on the door it says "No Future." All right, so it's like okay, we're getting some of this punk rock graffiti on here. Yep. So they start breaking to this. They probably break into the cemetery, and Casey does the famous line, which is all like, "Come on, guys, I just want to party." <laughs> I was like, "Perfect, I love it." So, so they go to the graveyard. And of course, it's all full of trash and shit. And I was like, looking at this, I was like, "Bro, I like this." Like, you know, it's all like we're breaking to a cemetery. They're playing a bunch of punk music. We're having a good time. I was like, "I, I can dig it. I can dig it." So now, Freddie and uh, Frank, they wake up now from the, from the deadly toxic weed gas that they got um, sp- uh, sprayed onto them. 
They, and this is one of my favorite parts of the movie. <laughs> they, they start waking up and everything, and it's like, oh man, I feel kind of sick. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, I don't feel good either. And he starts like throwing up everywhere. So yeah, they, basically they they feel like they still have that gas on them, and it's, it's such a weird, yeah. different smell that they haven't smelled before, and they're starting to get very sick by it. And they're trying to go up there, and they eventually get up to the uh, to the top level. And Frank's idea to get where the smell is to spray deodorant. Yeah, to spray Lysol. Yeah, in in the room. Let me just spray it. And we'll be all fine. And then while he's doing this, like Frank's like, and uh, Fred's like, "Do you hear that?" He's like, "I don't hear nothing." He's like, "It sounds like a dog." He's like, oh, "What the hell?" So they go <laughs> to the where the half dogs are at, and yeah. you can see this dog fucking moving. And then Frank like freaks out and beats it with a club. I was like. <laughs> I was like, "Fuck!" Was and, like, the, and the dogs mm-hmm. like dogs like barking like while he's beating it with his with his crutch. Yeah, with his little crutch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they start hearing the body that was inside the uh, the cooler. They're hearing it uh, move, and they're like, "Oh fuck! Yeah, what's going on here?" Yeah, because we forgot to mention that. But he shows that he goes into the cooler and shows him like a cadaver that's hanging from the ceiling. And I talked about it. And then they're, oh, okay, never mind. Sorry, I I missed that. I talked about the, the, the dead cooler guy that they had there. Oh, remember yeah, remember yeah, he the did the joke? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember he did the joke yes. where I was like, oh, I just need to keep him fresh. Huh? That's weird. I just left my memory. But yes, that did happen in the show. Well, that's okay. You know, when deadly marijuana gas leaks through our, our podcast, it, mm-hmm. it makes sense not remembering some stuff. That's true. It is hard to remember. <laughs> so, because the gas, after it got leaked, it was basically spreading everywhere in the warehouse. That's why all the stuff that was dead before is all coming alive. I even liked how they did the little uh, butterfly picture. I don't know if you noticed that. They all started flapping their wings. So, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of really cool things in the background in this that I'll try to bring up as we go through it. So, so now they're like, okay, shit. <laughs> they're like, they... They, they they go and lock that door really quick because they figured out that that cadaver is up and moving around. So they go lock the door and they go hide in the office. And like, this is a pretty funny scene because like, yeah. Fred's like, well, what the fuck, man? We got to call the cops, man. What's going on? And Frank's like, we can't call the cops. Like, <laughs> like they, what, what will they do for our business? And, and, Frank, and Fred's like, I think we need to do this. It's like, man, if you want to keep your job over here. And he's like, keep my job. <laughs> yeah, he's like, like, I don't give a like, fuck about this job. <laughs> <laughs> we need to. He's like, yeah, we need to call the cops. He's like, yeah. we can't call the cops. Well, imagine what it would do to yeah. the company. He's like, who cares about the company? And he's yeah. like, what about our reputation? Yeah, and he's like, like he's like, like if you, he's like, if you like this job, yeah. and then and and he's like, like this job, like it's just that. I mean, that's such a real thing to me because it's like exactly. I can imagine someone saying this, and he's in this ridiculous situation where dead things are coming back to life. Yeah, and he's like, yeah, no, I hate this fucking job. Exactly. And that scene, did you notice in the background that the eye chart test? What the eye chart test said? Uh. Uh-huh. So you know, you know those eye chart tests where they yeah. have the doctors, or the uh, where they where you test your eyesight. Um, so I noticed that it wasn't a regular one. So I try. I had to look up part of it because it's so small. But the eye chart test says Bert is a slave driver and a cheap son of a bitch who is going bald too. Ha ha. <laughs> nice. That's how you get him, brother. So <laughs> another idea that Fred has: Why don't we call the army? Frankly, what you really want the army around this? I got a great idea. Let's call the boss. Let's call the boss. Yeah. So he goes, go well. he calls him and he's very because they're basically freaking out this time. And then Bert, uh, Frank calls him. He's like, "Hey, how's it going, Bert?" Um. So yeah, we got a little problem. We fucked up. So then during this, <laughs> okay, 
So during this, then we cut to to Trash. All right, and she's talking to Scorpion near a like a cemetery, like, like near like a little cemetery plot. And she's asking him like, "Hey, have you ever uh, thought about uh, uh, dying gruesomely? You know, what would it feel like and everything? If you know, if if somebody just merged you, like uh, uh, you know, fucking just just tearing you limb from limb and stuff." And Spider, no. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I never thought of that shit. She's like, yeah, I've thought about it. You know, my my worst fear is having all these old guys, you know, rip my clothes off and bite me and stuff, just like this. And she starts like fucking taking her shirt off and stuff. And you hear in the background, all right, all right, guys, she's taking her clothes off again. Get the lights. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently, this is a common. Uh, a this common. is apparently a common thing for yeah. for them. Yeah. So apparently, trash. She likes to make up stories and get herself all hot and wild by being naked. Mm-hmm. So she takes off her shirt, you know, tight body. Can't beat that, brother. She gets on the fucking uh, grave, takes off everything. She goes full blower naked, brother. And she starts dancing on the grave to some, mm-hmm. some 80s punk music, brother. And I was like, you know what? This is probably, this scene right here, this whole act is probably. Uh, uh, garnered a whole generation of punk rock and 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 uh, 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 you know gothic fans just by doing this right here. So it's some rebellious Probably. teen instead. I was like, okay, this is this is a cool scene. I like it. I like it. She's dancing this grave, everything full blown naked. Don't give a fuck. Everybody's watching her. They're all saying, yeah, this is great. I was like, this is how we get the parties going, brother. Mm. Now this is probably the most famous scene in this movie, I guess. Yes. Yeah. I would say yeah. Probably. This one, there, yeah, this one and a couple other ones. The other famous scene we'll, we'll see pretty soon would be the the first uh, zombie face. That's also a pretty famous yes. scene. So Bert calls them all stupid <laughs> on the phone when he gets there, <laughs> and then Bert's because Bert's there now, and he's like, "Fuck, bro, I'm gonna be going yeah. to jail. You know, if we call the cops up, they're gonna send me to jail. I'm gonna get famous. I'm gonna get, lose my license for everything." And you know, basically, Bert he just wants to like cover it up. He's all like, "Okay, well, how do they beat these things in the movies?" He's like, well, we shot him in the head. He's like, okay, well, the idea we're gonna have is I'm gonna we're gonna take this uh, uh, cadaver out of here. And well, first he's like, okay, are we sure this is a cadaver? He's like, yes. It's like, okay, how do we beat it? We're gonna we're gonna shoot his brain or kill his brain and it should die. And they're like, okay, so I'm gonna bring him out of here and you're gonna like knock him down. <laughs> and like Frankie's not all about this. He's like, no, I don't want to do this. It's like, well, you have to. This is the only way we can do it to cover this shit up. <laughs> So they have Fred. <laughs> they have Fred like open up the uh, the the lock combination, and they open the door, and the zombie just goes straight to Bert. <laughs> it's like he just, run- <laughs> he just run right past Frank, no problem. He just jumps right on him, and they get him off him right. And then they have like this pitch axe, and they pitch yeah. axe his brain, but he still moves around. Like- and they're like, "What the fuck, brother? This happened. This is supposed to be the movie." It's like, "Well, this ain't a fucking movie." <laughs> And then, like, he chops <laughs> off his head. All right, yeah, and then, well, the, then they're like, yeah. I guess they changed some things for the movie. <laughs> yeah, I guess they changed it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they chopped off his head, and the body's still moving around everywhere. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, apparently, though, this was also, like, the first movie that portrayed... I mean, I don't know how many zombie movies were before this. I'm pretty sure there was a lot. But this is one of the first portrayed ones that the the, the zombies didn't die by uh, by like shooting their heads and stuff. So. Okay, so this uh, wh- how far are we? I can't, I can't remember exactly. How far are we before we start talking about brains? Uh, we're pretty far from that. 
Okay. Right. Yeah. Well, so I can mention part of this now. So part of it, and I'll mention part of it later. So, um, yes. So, and basically, Romero always said that that he that his move his movies are not about zombies because a zom- before Dawn of the Dead, a zombie was a very specific thing. Yeah. Like it was like um, it was it was um, you know a, a, like a voodoo thing. It was supposed to be like a reanimated person. Um, nowhere in Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, or Day of the Dead do they mention the word zombie at all. And Romero always said that he called them ghouls, and they were just like you know people that came back from the dead as ghouls to eat other to eat human flesh. So nowhere in, in any of that do they ever does Romero ever call them zombies. So this is kind of like, um, kind of like a, this is like kind of where like it starts this movie, I guess what I'm trying to say had more to change what people think about zombie movies than any other movie that's ever been made. Yes. And I'll explain that as we go through the movie, but, but yeah, so, um, yeah, so it didn't kill them when they shot him in the head, but that was only in Night of the living dead, I guess, and Dawn of the dead at this point. Um, where they could shoot them in the head and they would die. Yes. So, yeah. But anyway, so continue on. They're pickaxing the guy in the head and then they cut his head off. Yes. And now the body's all freaking out, messing up everything. And then they grab the body and their idea is just to, to chop up the body parts. But they're realizing right now that nothing's working. Like they keep chopping up these parts and stuff and it's still and moving still around. Moving. And they're like, okay, yeah. well, what, what could we do? Maybe we can put it in acid or something. You know, there's like, well, I don't know if we have any acid around here. We don't have enough. And then Bert finally gets an idea. He's like, okay, well, uh, I actually have a friend who just happens to be across the street, and he owns the morgue across the street. His name is Aaron. All right? Yeah. And uh, he has a, uh, uh, a crematorium. And, and he owes uh, me a favor. He owes me a favor. We're being good friends, so uh, <laughs> let's chop up the body and bring it to him and see what happens. <laughs> so I could see this. I mean, I know it's, it's a comedy, and it's funny, and it is. But I could see this, like, being sort of realistic in a way like if you're in this situation you're trying to figure out a way to solve this problem yeah everything they do makes the problem worse which is also oftentimes how real life happens yes but um but they're trying to solve this problem so they pickaxe in the head and then they cut its head off and then that doesn't work and then they cut it into pieces and that doesn't work so they're like okay we're gonna burn the thing yes so then we cut the the to trash she's still naked and tina's like okay yeah. the party's over why don't you put on your clothes she's like oh does this offend you or does it scare you does she, then she like walks away and then trash goes up to suicide and they mm-hmm. start talking and stuff and and he was all talking like yeah you know i just don't get why you guys all make fun of me and shit like you know like uh, i don't dress up this this is not a costume all right this is a lifestyle that i'm wearing over here and she's yeah, all like sure. trying to flirt with him and stuff, trashes. And he's like, pushes her down. She's like, don't disrespect the dead. So he, like I said, the guy just reminded me of like a fucking punk rock Biff character. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. So, um, and then, so now uh, we have Casey and uh, Chuck. So Chuck is uh, another guy over there. He's kind of like the uh, weird science guy of the movie. You know, he does oh, like yeah. the tie yeah, and the, everything uh, with the pants. Yeah. So, yeah, like the '80s, like new wave. I'm gonna wear a blazer and a skinny tie. Yeah, skinny tie guy. That guy, yeah. yeah. So we're 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 hitting all the young categories here. 
Okay. We're yeah, we're hitting. I, I mean, uh. I don't really know if this is what fashion was like in 1985. Like I was a little kid, but I'm guessing that this is like what some people were wearing. It was, brother. And it was great. Yeah. So, the, so basically, our boy Casey, really, um, our boy uh, Chuck, really likes Casey, and they start talking a little bit about how Casey. She thinks she saw Freddie walk across uh, the morgue or the cemetery. And and Chuck was like, "No, you didn't. Well, why would he do that?" <laughs> so now uh, Tina, now she wants to go to the uh, morgue. She tells Spider that she wants to go to the morgue, and or not the morgue. Tina tells Spider that she wants to go to the warehouse to check on yes. um to check on uh, uh, Fred because the, the watches are not working, but she believes it might be ten o'clock. So. So now we see our boy Aaron, and he is a you know he's a basically doing a, 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 a what do you call it uh uh autopsy in a way like or abominate what do you call that thing no, when you he, get the he's blood doing, he's in embal- he's embalming embalming yes he's embalming the body on here because the body's going through rigor mortis right now yeah so bert walks in and you know it's like hey you know uh what are you doing <laughs> so that would be like <laughs> <What> a <laughs> like <laughs> I mean, I feel for this guy Bert. He's all like, I mean, he didn't yeah. he didn't do anything wrong. He's just trying to cover, you know, just trying to fix things. And he comes to this guy. He's like, how do you ask somebody about a favor like this? Right. Exactly. So I, I think it. it's kind of realistic. Yeah. He's just like he's going to say, hey, so uh, what what you up to? Yeah. I was like, hey, uh, what do you say, uh, Aaron? Like, uh, what are you doing? <laughs> and he's like, oh yeah. And then he explains his whole body going through rigor mortis and stuff, and how like he learned all these tricks from being an abomination and stuff about muscles and everything. And the guy's like, yeah. okay, well, I got a couple of friends in here. He's like, well, you can't let them in here. He's like, okay, I'm going to let them in here. He's like, this is illegal. <laughs> and then they bring him in. He's like, okay, look, listen, bro. Uh, I had this bag. And basically what happened was somebody sent us some, like, weasels with rabies. <laughs> okay? Yeah, and he's like, and they're, he's like, they're not supposed to be rabbits. <laughs> yeah, they're not supposed to be. <laughs> like, yeah. he's trying to explain this situation. Yeah. He's all like, and, he's like, and the guy, Aaron's like, okay, well, you guys should be fine. Like, just call, like, the the... Just call like the 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 what do you call them the pest control. Like you guys are not yeah, an animal right. hospital. They shouldn't be a problem. It's like no, nah, I don't want to keep it out of the papers, man. You know what I mean? I just want to keep it out. <laughs> it's like okay, well, can I at least fucking shoot them before we put them in the fucking thing? You don't want to burn something alive. Well, well, first, yeah, but first he says he's like, so he's like, what do you have? Pl- what do you, what are your what's your plan for this? He's like, well, he's like, I was gonna see if we could. Uh, burn them in your crematorium and Aaron is like you want to burn these things alive he's like let, at least let me put them out of their misery first and he just happened to be carrying a pistol in his pocket <laughs> for some reason yeah, and he pulls case. it out he's like yeah. he's like let me take him out in the parking lot and shoot him first he's like no uh-huh. he can't shoot him that's he's like that's that's not gonna work yeah <laughs> it's all like it's like oh that's not gonna work and stuff and you're like it's like can you can you keep a secret <laughs> And he's like, I don't know about you guys. He's like, no, I need you to, I need you to say you can keep a secret, <laughs> okay? Um, and then we cut to see more of, uh, uh, of uh, Casey and Chuck. You know, they're asking where trash and suicide are, and Chuck, our boy Chuck, is basically trying to get with her the whole time. He's like, yeah, and he's basically yeah. she's telling him to go to go choke a chicken. All right. Yes. And of course, our boy suicide is bitching because no, apparently nobody likes this guy. Or maybe, maybe he seems like very moody, so I don't think I would like him either. Mm-hmm. So, so now, uh, like I said, like this, this is when we also too we get Tina. She is looking 
to uh she's looking for fred so she's going to the to the warehouse right now she's trying to get into the warehouse looking for freddy and she's walking through the graveyard all alone and she goes up to the medical supply warehouse and she rings the doorbell so after aaron hears all this whole story he's like all right so basically so basically also what happened is they they so they're explaining to me i keep a secret and they show Aaron, one of the arm of like this body, and the arm is alive, and the arm like goes to his, yeah. like gets his pants and kind of rips him off. And they basically mm-hmm. tell him the whole story about basically what happened, you know, with this gas being leaked by the army and stuff, and has reanimated these, uh, these dead bodies to come back to life. And Aaron's like, okay, I will do this, but you owe me a big favor. <laughs> so they go to the uh, crematorium, they're putting the bodies on here. He's like, you know, he's doing me a good favor. And Frank's in the background, sick as shit. He's like, yeah, I fucking could have done this. Huh? It's not hard. So they're putting the bodies on there. And then Bert, he just wants to make sure the bodies, no trace at all, these bodies are going to be there. So they turn up to the hottest part. Because apparently the heart doesn't melt as fast because it has a lot of muscle on it. So he turned it up higher for the heart. And then he turned it up higher to burn the ashes of the ashes. Yeah, and then then Bert's like, "Now we don't." He's like, "We need to turn it up because we don't want we don't want the heartness still around now." Yeah. So they start burning this fucking body, and what happens is while they're burning it, the the burnt gases from the from the from the body is going out into the air now, going mm-hmm. into the clouds, and then it starts raining. So now we're having a true acid rain. Yes, and it starts raining out all the punk kids. It starts raining out all the bodies, and these punk kids are starting to notice, like, hey, this ass, this rain's kind of like burning a little bit. So they're burns, trying to yeah. they're trying to run back to uh, to Suicide's car, all right, and get in there. Yeah. But they're still getting all rain all over him and shit. And no wonder that fucking uh, girl like uh, quickly was getting all sick, man. She was like naked through rain, mud. I was like, fuck. Yeah, I mean, like they're pouring water. I yeah. mean, obviously, you know, they're they're it's not real rain. They're like pouring water from the ceiling and like yeah. sprinklers or whatever. But but yeah, like she's standing naked in in this in this cold water for yeah. probably hours, hours and hours. Yeah, because I think she does put on like a cut off t shirt through part of this movie. Yeah, at, like for the next few minutes, maybe after they get in the car, I think she puts it on. But yeah, for, other than that, she's completely nude through the entire movie. Yeah, so they're in the car. Water's getting all in there. Our boy is suicide. He smashed out all the windows, but he's getting the ceiling on there. But there's still water leaking in. So, so while they're doing all this stuff, all the all the rain acid is getting onto the graves, and you can kind of see that some of the uh, the dead are coming to life right now. Mm-hmm. So, when we cut back to the to the to the morgue, uh, we realize that Frank he's like super sick right now. He's like getting kind of sick, and we can see that that both Frank and Fred are both getting super sick. And they basically need to, uh, uh, they didn't need to call the paramedics on them because they're, they look like they got poisoned pretty much. And that's the gun. And of course, you know, Frank wants to call his wife, but they, they won't let him. And they call up the paramedics and the, the call was like, the Aaron May is like, okay, uh, I need the paramedics. Okay. I need them over here by the morgue. Okay. I need them in the uh, bombing room. Yeah. They had poison. Yes. I don't know what kind of poison. I just come over here. <laughs> <laughs> so now the car that the uh, punk kids are in won't move, and the roof is leaking all over trash. So she's getting, she's getting like most of all that fucking uh, acid rain on her. And uh, we still see Tina. She's still looking around for Freddy, 
and she's basically she eventually goes into the uh, basement area all right and she's looking around the basement area she sees a little tube she looks around right behind her and this is when we see the first appearance of the zombie that was in the tube brother mm. that fucking slimy face melting zombie i thought this one looked cool as shit it looked great yeah. and the guy that whoever played the zombie did it really well like yeah. how he's just like like moving around and like real lanky kind of uh, but yeah, previous to this, they thought that the zombie had uh, disintegrated when they opened up the tube. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. They yes. thought the original yeah, one had just it didn't. No. Mm-hmm. So this slime, this slimy zombie is basically talks and it says brains. It wants the brains. And then of course she Tina walks up the stairs, but she gets caught on that third step from earlier. And we basically see all the kids in the car. They decided to go to the warehouse to go meet up with Tina because they don't want to stay there and get wet by this acid rain. So Tina is getting attacked by the zombie. She hides in this room and the zombie can like do things. So he puts like a chain. He's trying to like take the door off. So these zombies are not just like slow and, you know, falls over each other. They actually like, they're kind of like smart zombies. They can talk and they can do things. Yeah, they're kind of there's yeah the, yeah right. They're smart zombies, and this is also the first um, <clears throat> time, the only time that um, they the like this started the whole reputation where zombies eat brains. That that's yes. where this came from, because nowhere in George Romero's movies do they eat brains. They they eat flesh. They eat people, but they don't. They're not after brains, um, and that's where this came from. And that's why like a lot of people. Even when we're talking about Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead in those movies, they always do the brains thing, but that's not in any of those movies. That's only in this. Yes. That's pretty pretty much where it came from, which is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they all all the, the, the kids, they all get into the warehouse. Uh, Trash's skin is burning like crazy, but she does have like a little bit of the uh, Casey's like shirt on. And then eventually hear Tina screaming. So they all run down to the, the basement area. And when they, they, they go past the step, they look down and they can see that there's a chain trying to open up this door with like a little curtain over it. And then our boy yeah. Biff, a.k.a. Suicide, he opens the curtain and then he gets bitten by the first zombie right in the head, brother. So there goes our boy mm-hmm. Suicide. He's gone. And they're all like like freaked out about it. They get Tina out of there and they all run upstairs and they shut the door. So now we have the paramedics at the... Uh, at the uh, uh, embalming room, and they're checking on Frank and Freddy. All right, and then we realize after a while, you know, the the parents are trying to get some stuff out of Bert. They're like, okay, well, uh, what kind of poison they have? He's like, I don't know about that right now. He's like, we need to find out. It could be life or death. He's like, well, I gotta make a call, but it can't be until like the morning time. Okay. <laughs> 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 so like, whatever. So they start checking their whatever. blood pressure and and uh, pulse, and they have neither. Frank and Fred, they don't have no blood mm. pressure or pulse at all. And their and their body temperature is like the same temperature yeah. as the room. Room temperature. Yeah, and they need like you know, they're like, we gotta find this chemical stuff, and then now the pair yeah, the body temperature is the same as the room, and then both the paramedics talk to each other. So all the kids that are left, they they lock them they they're they're locked in. They lock the door, the basement door, and they're trying to figure out what to do next. And you know, they can't save the suicide because he's pretty much dead. Um, and um, they they asked for like okay well you know did you even find Fred around here and all it's like no he wasn't here at all so they all decided to leave and then you know maybe go to the to the cemetery and uh, you know maybe go to the the main office of the of the 
the chapel to go find uh, Fred because he's probably out there. So they all mm-hmm. decide to leave and they go all run back outside. So now when they're running through the graveside, there's like water everywhere. All right, so they fall through a puddle and they kind of get to like a, a, a little gravesite. And then they notice that all the bodies are coming alive now. All right, and they all start like freaking out and they all kind of spat like, like uh, they all kind of like divide themselves up. All right, so you have uh, Casey and we have uh, Chuck. They go one way with, uh, with trash. And then we have Spider, Tina, and Scud. They go the other way. And they're fighting through a bunch of zombies. And eventually, our, our girl Trash, she gets overrun by zombies. And she gets t- taken down into a muddy plot. Or muddy part of, uh, uh, in there. Mm-hmm. So the paramedics are basically trying to figure out what's going on. Because they're like, they're like, hey, you guys are like technically like dead. But you're not dead because you're like talking to us right now and you're conscious. So this is just really weird. <laughs> And they're like, what, we're freaking right. dead? Like, what the hell? It's like, All right, this is just too weird. I'm not really sure what to do. So eventually, while this is happening, they hear a knock at the door. So Ernie Ernie goes up there. He opens the door. He pulls a gun on him. So you, you kids on PCP? <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was great. You know, he's yeah. like, is there anyone PCP? Yeah. And then, like, Spider's like, no, man, we ain't on drugs or nothing. They let us in. He's like, bro, you got to, like, shut these doors down. They're coming for us. They're like, who, who, what, is, what are you guys talking about? It's like, you hear them? These fucking dead people are coming out of their graves and they're alive. All right. So then we see, uh, we cut to a scene with uh, Casey and Chuck. And they go back to the factory and they notice that trash is missing. Mm-hmm. So the, the paramedic guys are outside and stuff. And they're kind of just confused of what to do. Maybe they're probably going to go get some more help. But eventually they hear some noise, um, but they go back into their uh, ambulance and then they turn on the lights and they notice there are a bunch of zombies all around them and then they start eating their ass. They take them out of the van and they eat them inside the van as well too. And then we have... So now we have Spider saying like, listen, there's there's people from the graves coming in and they're, they're, they're coming out of their graves and they're trying to attack us and stuff. And there's a shit ton of those things out there right now. So, and then we cut back. We do a lot of cutscenes during this particular part. So Casey and Chuck, they're looking for a phone. And um, and then before they can make a phone, the, the, the a zombie bust in. Like in, into that little um, work room that they had before. So they, they're pretty much locked in the, a particular room that doesn't have any phone. So their plan right now, when we go back to the uh, morgue, is Ernie one needs to get a car to gather everybody in and take them out of there. And so that's what he's, he's planning to do right now. Uh, and then when they go to the barn, Tina sees Freddy, and of course Freddy's all sick and stuff, and she's kind of worried, worried, worried about him. And Ernie says, okay, I'm going to go out there. I see the ambulance out there, but I'm going to go try to get my car <clears throat> so we can get everybody in there. And then he's like going out there. He sees the ambulance. He's like walking around. And he eventually sees like this little zombie kid eating one of the paramedics in the head. He starts chasing him yeah. and shooting him, and he runs back inside. Part is pretty wild. That was great. Yeah. yeah, that scene was awesome. Where he like walks around the door. I think he's like walking around the car door that's open or whatever, and he sees yeah. a little kid, and he's just like, "Rah!" That was awesome. <clears throat> so Aaron's uh, freaking out inside right now, and he's like calling, trying to call the police, but none of the phones are working. Of course, so they could try to go to the main office. Um, this is where we have a bunch of scenes of the zombies trying to break into the front door. They start fighting them off. Uh, and they start fighting them off all the, like, this 80s music. It's pretty good stuff. Yeah. So, 
so dispatch is now calling to see where these two paramedics are and we see that one of the zombies that was eating one of the paramedics goes up to it and it says bring more paramedics <laughs> so apparently these yeah, t- that's a, zombies that's another can talk famous scene too. yeah yeah send more paramedics so they so they kind of do yes so during all this <clears throat> they try to break through windows like there's a ton of windows all around this place there's windows in the the main office there's windows in the chapel <clears throat> spider hold on a second <clears throat> you gonna make um, it there <clears throat> sorry are you on the struggle bus yeah yeah <clears throat> got one of those in my throat anyway like i was saying so there's basically windows everywhere in this like you know chapel and uh a funeral home and spiders like complaining about all these windows everywhere so they go try to, every time they try to go patch up one of the windows or something like zombies trying to break into the place um so they go they they basically have to after they they go try to cover up some of the windows they go into the back room up there um so now uh so now F- uh, fred basically is telling bert to tell everybody what is going on over here with the chemicals and all that stuff. And Bert kind of doesn't want to say it at first, but then he eventually says it. And Fred and Frank are basically right now, we figured out that they're going through rigor mortis right now because all their bones and everything is hurting like super bad in their bodies. Yeah, right. They're going through rigor mortis, but they're like, they're still alive. Yes, exactly. Yes. They're still like conscious, but they're going through rigor mortis. It's crazy. Yeah. So uh, the other ambulance people arrive and they get basically attacked right away. So that trick that the zombies worked, they worked. So um, so there's more zombies trying to trying to break through the wood this time, and this is when we have the uh, the character Scuzz. He's trying to fight them all off, but one uh, rotting zombie creature lady eventually grabs mm-hmm. his ass and bites his head. Alright. And through this, Ern he realizes like, okay, wait a minute. So after the zombie bite the head, it's looking a lot better than it did. So apparently by these zombies biting people's brains only for like two seconds can give them like new life. Kind of like vampires. Yes. And his idea is to capture that one because after he bit him, like that that zombie came inside and they he captured it and they locked it down and then he starts asking it questions. It's like, why are you eating people? It's like, no, no, not people. Brains. Brains only. And he's like, well, why, why are you doing this? Because of the pain. I have the pain of dying. And he says, by only eating brains, will it fill myself and it will help out the pain. Go away. So we got a serious yeah, moment so, with these I was zombies. Say, so we're, they're, yeah, they're, they're, the zombie actually has a lot of explanation of why this is happening. Yeah. So it makes sense. So now uh, uh, Spider tells uh, Ern and and, uh, um, and Bert's like, "Hey, we, we we got we need to talk, okay? Like we got to figure out what to do with these things and how to kill them." He's like, "Well, the only thing I have is like we got to burn them all." He's just like, mm-hmm. "Well, how, how are we gonna do all that? Like we we got to get them all in one place." You know, there's a hundred of those things out there, and they're just kind of figuring out like what they can do to stop these things from getting them. 
So they go back into the uh, to the room where Frank and uh, uh, um, Fred are at, and they're basically saying like, "Listen, guys, we gotta lock you guys up. We don't know if you guys are gonna be turning into some zombies or not." And Tina's not all having it, but like, we, we gotta we gotta lock them in the chapel. So they go and lock them in the chapel, but Tina wants to stay with them. So during all this stuff, we see Trash. She is now waking up as a zombie. She is now turning into a uh, zombie. Yeah, where she comes up out of the mud. This that yeah. looked great. Where she like the mud's on, like basically covering her whole body, and then she stands up and do it out of the mud. Yeah, that looked fucking great. Did we see a homeless guy with his little cart? And then we see some smoke and some noise, and out of the cemetery runs trash. She is now a mm. punk rock zombie vampire, and yes. she eats him. <laughs> so. So now we're seeing at the police or the hospital, whatever the dispatch station, that they notice a lot of ambulances are missing, so they want to figure it out. We have Casey and Chuck. They're still hiding and are, are, are upset. And basically, Casey doesn't want to die with Chuck being there because she doesn't really like him. So so we have Bert and all them stuff. They, got, they, they lock up um, Frank and Fred. <clears throat> and then... Um, and then now the uh, the the uh, the dispatchers call the police to go check on the the ambulance drivers. And then when they get there, the two police officers when they get there, they get attacked by the zombies. And Ern notices like this is just basically they're just calling people over here to get killed. So it's basically like uh, it's a trap. They can see that all the dead are like setting traps for them. Right. So now they're trying to figure out like a way to hide or get out of here. Um, Aaron's idea was to go hide up in the attic. Spire's like, I'm not going up in the attic in here. I'm gonna have better luck getting the cars. So they're trying to figure out how they can go, uh, you know, get to the car. And they're also figuring out like, oh, hey, we have this nitric oxide. He's like, and then Bert's like, well, this is fucking not enough. It's just a little jar. There's like a hundred of those things out there. So. Mm-hmm. So now we have uh, Fred and Frank. They're in the chapel and they are fucking in pain. Like dying through pain. They're just fucking slowly going through this pain. They're screaming out. And then eventually Fred is getting consoled by his girl Tina. And he's saying like, you know, this pain hurts. It hurts so much. It, it aches and everything. The only thing that can help it is brains. Yes. So he starts attacking his girl. Because he wants her brains now. And he's like foaming from the mouth and everything. She starts screaming. Spider and all of them come over there. Our boy Bert loves bats and stuff. He's whacking this motherfucker around with bat. I like how Frankie just like like slowly walks away. <laughs> he like slides right <laughs> out of there. And they basically lock um, they lock uh, Fred inside the chapel. And Spider starts freaking out a little bit. It's like, man, did you see his face and everything? Because they they also use that nitric oxide to pour, uh, like pour on uh, uh, Fred's face as, as well too to calm him down. And he's basically mm-hmm. blind now. Um, and then like they snap Spider out of it. And they're, they're, they're basically their plan right now is they are going to try their luck. Spider and Bert are to go grab the police car. Bring the police car to Aaron and Tina and pick them up. But the problem is right now, too, is Aaron's foot got all fucked up. So now Fred, he is, like, breaking through the door right now, too. So it doesn't take him long to get out of there. 
Um, so now we see a scene of they're, they're doing the plan to try to get to the car. And then Aaron says to Bert, hey, that favor that I asked for you, the favor is you're going to protect your ass. You better come back. So Bert and Spider, they, they fight through all these zombies and stuff. They get, the, they get inside the police car. They try to drive up, but there's too much zombies. So they have to turn right around and go somewhere else. And Tina's like, oh shit, they left us behind. He's like, don't worry, they'll get, they'll get us some help. Um, during all this too, Frank, basically what happened with him is he went to the, uh, the uh, what do you call it, the, uh, the, the, the burn, you know, with the, 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 what do you call that thing? The fryer? The, crem- the crematorium? Crematorium, yes. Yeah. And he basically burned himself. Like he, I guess before he was running brains, he decided to, uh, to burn himself so he wouldn't kill anybody. So, mm-hmm. so while, um, while Bert and Spider are in the police car, they're like going through a bunch of zombies. There's zombies everywhere, like inside the, inside the morgue, outside the morgue. So they eventually crash right into the warehouse and Chuck notices that it was them that crashed in there. He was noticed it was Spider, so they let them both inside. And then um, Spider's like, man, you just got blow up that car and stuff. We don't have any more. He's like, well, don't worry about it. We have my uh, car and Frank's car out there. And then they, both those cars blow up as well, too. So they're pretty much stuck right. in there now. Now they're fucked. Yeah. So Fred is loose, but he barely sees anything, but he's breaking everything in his way. So they hear it. Aaron. So Aaron puts Tina up in the attic to hide from the zombie Fred. But then Fred's trying to break into there, and he kept saying, like, Tina, where are you, Tina? And stuff, because he wants her brain just trying to, like, uh, this This zombie is, like, one of those taunting zombies. Uh, so now we have the police squad. They're all showing up, right? And they're all showing, like, these, they're kind of, like, in a big row and, and with this police chopper around. And right when they park the cars, they're all getting out. All the zombies swarm them and attack them. And they take out a whole, like, fucking blockade of uh, police officers <clears throat> and then, then we get a big announcement that's saying they are blockading this area police blockade on this area <clears throat> so um spider and bird they need to get to a phone all right and they said the phone in the office is not working anymore but there is one in the basement and they started explaining to me you can't go to the basement there's like a fucking zombie down there and stuff and there's like well that's the only thing we could do we have to get to this basement down there what we'll do is we'll light the thing out and I'll fucking bash his head off. Okay? Yes. So, so zombie Fred is calling out Tina for her brains and he loves her. Alright? So he's trying to like trick her and shit. So Spider and all of them, they open up the door and the zombie comes in, that cool zombie from the beginning and Bert just fucking swings to the fences and fucking bashes off his head and they just run to the basement. Um, and then they walk past, uh, this is a weird scene too, because they walk past the dead, um, the suicide guy who died from earlier. And I thought, I mm-hmm. thought for sure he was going to wake up as a zombie, but he never did. So now we hear a police siren or police radio station. The police tells everybody to, uh, you know, to, if anybody is left in here and stuff, this is under like police uh, blockade. If anybody's out here, you got to surrender yourself right now in here. And then they're trying to, uh, uh, Bert is trying to call up the, uh, the the cops, and he eventually does. He goes to the, the the cops captain, saying that hey, we're stuck in this uh, 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 warehouse, 
And the cop's like, well, I don't even know what's going on here. I had 12 of my best men getting attacked and everything. And I need to know, you know, what we could do. I don't even know what to do right now. And right when he was saying all this stuff, the the zombies started attacking other police. And and Bert can hear it over the phone of them all getting eaten up. Because all the zombies plus the trash, zombie vampire, were eating up all the cops. So now Bert's like, okay, maybe now we should call the army. (laughs) After all well, this he says, well, no, he's, well, okay, he does say that, I think, but doesn't yeah. he say that, let's just call the, because uh, uh, on the side of the um, barrels that yeah. the zombies were in, it says, if something goes wrong, call this number. Yeah, exactly. So maybe we should just call this number. Yeah, let's call this number now. So this number gets routed to the guy we saw from earlier, Glover. Yeah. All right. And... I, <laughs> This is like the weirdest call. So this call gets routed to, to Glover and they kept saying like, you know, this is a certain type of emergency. And Glover's on yeah. the phone's like, he's talking to Bert. He's like, okay. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. where was this at? Okay, gotcha. It's like, okay, uh, what, what's going on? Is it out? Yes. Okay. Thank you, sir. Okay. Is it, uh, is it moving around? Yes. Okay, got you. Thank you. And I was like, this is a very interesting conversation on the other end. <laughs> Basically, and he he gets all these notes and stuff. Uh, Glover does, and then he starts to go to his uh, very very gentle, like just walking normally and everything, all up to his station. He gets a little fax, and he calls this a a a, 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 a Q status too. And well, like, so before is this where he calls the president? Yeah, like where he's saying. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I'm, he's like, yes, sir. I'm sorry to disturb you at this hour. Yeah. And then he's like, yeah, he's like, but we're at Q2 status. Yeah, Q2, that's what it was, yeah. Yeah, but it's funny because you can only see it. You can only hear his side. That's why it's so funny. It's, it's yeah, like, on both the phone it, calls. Like, it lo- yeah, and it's like, it looks like we've uh, lost the uh, the Easter eggs. Yeah. <laughs> and it's he's like, like, yes, yes, sir. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> no, yeah. It, no, it's like, well, no. First, he says, we found the Easter eggs. So right. Oh, we found yeah. the Easter eggs. Yeah. And he's like, where at? He's like, it was in Louisville, Kentucky. He's like, okay, yeah. that's great. He's like, well, it's not great news. Uh, the, the eggs have been hatched. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently they've lost these things. So they were supposed to go uh-huh. somewhere else, and they ended up going to the medical supply place. Yeah. He's like, yeah, well, sir, it would be. He's like, he's like, oh, that's good news. We found it. He's like, well, it would be good news, except the eggs have hatched. Yes. So then we cut back to Bert, and so I, Bert's like, oh, you know, I got off the phone with them and stuff. They rounded me, and they said they have a plan for this, so I guess we'll have to wait to see what happens. So then it, so, so then this military guy gets a call, and he's all super excited about it. He's like, okay, what's the yeah. codes? I wrote some of them down. One was hot dog, zero. So I have, yeah. 22 I have range. something to say about this, too. Go ahead. <laughs> so I don't – maybe I'm the only person that found this funny, but so – the military is supposed to use like phonetic alphabet, like what they call NATO alphabet, so that you don't get confused when you're using letters. Yeah, like you know, you might you, you say a a, and the you know, the person might think you said h. So like, so he's so the um, NATO alphabet that he would 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 he that he would use should be Alpha Hotel Romeo, but he says Archimedes Hot Dog and Rhubarb. Mm-hmm. Which, I don't know, I just found that funny. Yeah. Maybe I'm the only person, but I just thought that was funny. Get out of the code, brother. Then we actually get some CGI in this film. So move over, fucking Star Wars. All right? Oh, yes. CGI. Get some CGI missile. So they mm. fucking missile the fucking place, and they blow up the whole area. 
like birds like do you hear that <laughs> of course they blow them up from the warehouse they're in there they're at the warehouse then we have fred break through the attic and they blow that part up but then we see and the vampire trash she gets blown up too yeah and then we have like this little like we have glover basically saying oh yeah there's less than uh four thousand dead some of them were uh were burnt the president will be out there soon in kentucky and while this is all happening you can see that the it's raining and stuff it's like oh yeah the rain will take care of most of like the fires and the burnings and everything like that but then while we see that the deeper level mm-hmm. where, where all the deep bodies were at they start waking up now yeah so they spread it so with their with their rocket blast they they're they uh they spread it even further. Yes. So, but everybody, that has been the review of the return of the Living Dead here on the Retro Blood, celebrating Fourth of July on the only way we know how, with deadly zombie gas spreading around here and eating brains, brother. So, but definitely a fun one. I definitely super enjoyed this movie. I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was definitely yeah, a fun it's a classic. One classic brother absolutely loved it but everybody join us here next week as we actually start our theme of the month the italian blood theme and we will start this one off hot with doing inferno inferno the first argento movie of the argento month you're gonna like this you've never seen this movie have you so I saw like bits and pieces of it, but I never seen it fully. Okay. So I'm gonna be pretty excited about this one. So it should be pretty fun. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot to talk about on this movie. So yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a great film, work like, of art. Yes, and we'll talk about all about the '80s Argento collection. We'll talk about the movies, the backstories about it. it. Should be a fun time over here at the Retro Blood as we uh, do July, and then of course we'll be coming back in uh, August, and we'll tell you about that. As well too mm-hmm. uh, but then the next episode we'll tell you all about the, the the rest of the argento movies that we are doing but everybody i say we leave us with some cramps over here let's do it surfing dead brother just like our boy fucking uh our boy fucking fred you know what i mean he thought he was gonna be surfing mm-hmm. at this new job getting some good payment you know what i mean you know finally got himself a gig got himself a nice lady you know gonna be going out there and then he fucking had to play around with some deadly weed gas. Turned into mm. a sick maniac zombie monster wanting brains. Then it gets blown up by a fucking missile. All, all in about a day's time. Yep, so. but almost exactly a day, right? Pretty overnight. much, yeah. All about overnight, brother. So, But everybody, that has been the Retrobud. We will see you here next week for Inferno. Jay Austin, James Klein. See you guys later. See you guys. <laughs>